them all. What it's, is it? It's Monday. Monday. It's Monday Night Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm Peter. And it looks like the GOP is going to take the House. But that was more or less, I think, uh, my prediction from the beginning. I think it may have been yours as well. Uh, my sense was that it was going to be the Democrat. I, I did say I thought the Democrats would hold the Senate. I did say that. I didn't know if they would expand it, but I thought they'd hold it. And but you thought they were going to lose the House. Yes, I did. And there were many reasons for that. Uh, but then will... explain to me why I keep getting all these letters from Team Dem bragging about how well they did in this midterm election. Well, I think in part they will say that because they, again, it's going to be very hard to say that they did well if they actually lose a chamber. Um, but I guess you would say that they did well based on what the poll expectations were ultimately going to be. But I think the thing that you really just take away from this whole, you know, the, the, the whole election situation that would just transpired is the fact that the major candidates that were really backed heavy by Trump, whether it was in Pennsylvania, whether it was in Arizona. Um, With like what? One except was J.D. Vance. There's like one or two exceptions. And even then, I wouldn't even necessarily say J.D. Vance. And apparently J.D. Vance, uh, according to a journalist friend that I was speaking to the other day, he didn't even mention Trump in his victory speech. And so I think there is a very conscious effort within the GOP right now to move as far away from him as they possibly can. Um, there may have been a lot of internal sabotage that was going on over the course of, you know, these, um, you know, these several days where everyone's finding out now, you know, what the actual strategy was, especially regarding McConnell and, and what he was doing. But a lot of what I saw in terms of the responses from, let's say, the indie media people that are on the right that we follow, whether it's the Michael Knowles of the world, the Tim Pools of the world. And obviously, we'll be speaking with Kim Iverson. We'll see what she thinks, even though she's definitely more, much more libertarian and what I would call libertarian left. I was going to say, why are you affiliating her with people like Michael Knowles? I'm not. Oh, okay. I'm just saying that she's definitely not on what you would call the traditional liberal left in, the, in that regard. But they're there is a real, what I would consider like heavy libertarian, anti-war, civil liberties lean that is on a lot of these channels. And they really hate McConnell. Like they really do. And interesting. wanting to see him out of power was a huge selling point for a lot of people, which I thought was very telling. And it'll be interesting to see what ultimately ends up happening. Uh, the one great silver lining I think we can all agree on is that Nancy Pelosi may no longer be in power, maybe forever. And I can't say I am sad about that. Yet I was just uh, watching her say she has no interest in or she's not even remotely considering stepping aside at any time soon. Well, why would she? No one's going to stand up to her. That's so ridiculous. the point. If you're gonna, are so ridiculous. If you're going to stand up to her, then dirtbag, we will hear from Kim in regards to where she stands on certain issues. And you'll decide for yourself whether you think she's on the left or not. But that I, I digress. So ultimately, I do think that it's um, it's more or less going in the direction that I thought it would. I know a lot of people thought that the uh, GOP would win a lot more House seats. Uh, but there's a lot to be said for uh, the, the one. There, there's a lot of people who believe that it was a combination of you know, Roe v. Wade, yeah. which I do think played a role in certain places. It was a combination of uh, the Democrats invested heavily in the idea that the GOP would cut Social Security and Medicare, which they always do. Um, but the issue that I thought played the biggest role is the election denialism. The people who were 
still harping on 2020, the people who are basically trying to figure out a way, whether it's a secretary of state, those those particular individuals, they all lost. Like there doesn't seem to be a single one that was what you would consider to be a Trump acolyte that was constantly talking about how the election in 2020 right. was rigged. They all lost. So I do think that that really says a lot in, in terms of what ultimately ended up happening, especially since Trump only endorses really big candidates. So I do think that that did play a big role. Okay. You don't have anything to say about the Trump thing. I mean, look, I think he's I think he's a phenomenon. I think he's a snake oil salesman. I think there's still like the hardcore Trumpies that are going to stick with him and go down with the ship. You know, like there's those with every cultist kind of group. But no, I mean, I think that it's wearing thin. I think normal Republicans, if that even exists, um, they're not with that. So I don't I don't see that. And I also think that DeSantis is just much more palatable to more people. So I, I just think Trumpy's time is kind of kind of dwindling down, except for with a niche group. And he'll just do everything he can to stay relevant. That's why he's going to announce he's running. He doesn't care. To, it's like he just has to be in the media circus. He's a narcissist. So he's going to do that because his love of all of it is just having everybody pay attention to him. That's the whole point. So, hey, Double K. Love you, Double K. You're really awesome. That really means a lot. And so that's we, my, that's my, do I think that Trump will endorse Pompeo? Uh, no, I'm I don't. I'm thinking no. No. Uh, <laughs> but I could tell you one guy who is definitely running for president is Mike Pence. That's definitely happening. And that, that's fine. He also has his very, it's a very small niche as well. It is. Those are very niche categories of the Republican Party. So and and it should be an interesting primary. I I honestly have heard people talking that like Kanye may jump in there. Oh man, talk about a circus! Um, <laughs> but we'll have lots to talk yes. about with Kim. But first and foremost, uh, speaking of the what should be a real anti-war movement, which doesn't seem to exist in the United States right now, especially on the left. Although I would definitely we're here, say, we're just censored. Yeah, no, without question. Um, I do think that they are there. They are they do exist. Uh, but they're certainly not organized enough to really make the type of impact that they need to make. And if anybody can really speak to what's going on right now, oh, and by the way, it looks like President Zelensky is going to get the Nobel Peace Prize. This is. <laughs> you can't make this shit up. Yeah, you can't. No, war is. Well, when they gave it to Obama is... when he first got there, I thought, okay, well, there goes any credibility to what that means. War is forever, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and if there is somebody who can speak uh... to that, because we just had Veterans Day, we are obviously very pleased to welcome what I would consider to be one of our regulars. Well, he's been with, he's he's come on a few times. It's very appreciated too. Um, I always appreciate it when people that know things come on and share with us. Yes, well, without question, he is somebody that we think very highly of. He is a retired command chief, master sergeant in the United States Air Force. Zoom, <laughs> Dennis Fritz. Welcome back to Generation Speed Church. Racer. Well, here's what I'm scared of. Can you hear me okay? Absolutely. I don't know if you remember the last time we were together, we had the audio, audio issues. Exactly. Yeah. So No, it sounds like you you it sounds like you got it together there. How's it going? It's going well and, and good to see you all and hear your voices again and just to hear your take on the political world. I just I don't know if you can see but I was sitting back just smiling as y'all were talking. I really well we we appreciate it. It means a lot. And obviously we always thank you for your service. Uh 
Before we even get into Veterans Day and where we are with the current situation regarding Ukraine, and obviously President Biden just met with uh, President Xi Jinping of uh, of China, and obviously Taiwan is going to become a central uh, issue going forward. Uh, what are your thoughts on Westmore becoming the next governor of Maryland? Well, I, I was excited about that, as you know, and as you know, me being an, uh, an Afro-American um, is very exciting for him. Unfortunately, you know, we have to, when we have a first in our in our community, it's a shame, you know, as long as we've been yeah. existing. But uh, it's, it's, it's very good to uh, have the first Afro-American as the, as the uh, governor of Maryland. Uh, you know, with that said, though, it's not necessarily about him being the first uh, African-American. I think he's, you know, very well qualified. Those those this is his first time, you know, his first step into politics, but his message was great. And as you look at the margarine, not just because of the, uh, his, 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 the candidate he was against, who was a bad candidate for the Republicans, but, uh, but uh, I, I just think he did very well if you look at the margin of his victory. And uh, I think he will be one that, uh, you know, will be for the people. But uh, I, you know, in fact, let me just tell you something. What I was really impressed with, though, was the the beginning of the handover of power between um, him and, the, and our current governor. And I, I thought that was really uh, good on their part. And to be quite frank, we can all have differences uh, in our politics. But, uh, you know, we say we're the United States of America, and I sometimes worry about that. But I just saw a great uh, uh, scene of them, you know, truly being the United States of America. But I, I'm very happy and proud of, of our incoming governor. Yeah. It's just no, I'm just saying what I was going to say when you were talking before, but it ties into this is when you look at this past election and you say, OK, well, who who were winners, who were losers? It's very relative to where you live. So, for example, you are celebrating somewhat of an inspired election situation where you are and we are in Florida. Ooh. So so my point is, is that really this is a very relative discussion, you know, so like I, I, I'm envious that you have anything inspired in your state election to be happy about other than one representative in our legislature. We're really very rarely happy about anything here. Yeah, it was it was rough for Florida. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, I mean, it was a, you know, a, a rough defeat in, in your governorship. And I, I be honest with you, I really thought Val had a, a chance. So I just. I'm in shock. You know, I don't. What are y'all doing down there? <laughs> uh, our party has some issues. We talk about it regularly. But here's hoping that Val um, maybe tries to go against Rick Scott in a couple of years because he is infinitely more hated and I think easier to defeat than Rubio. But I, I believe that, too, as well. So hopefully she will do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think she did uh, what she could. Um, she outspent Rubio by a substantial margin. But unfortunately, the Democratic Party in many places doesn't actually believe in primaries. Uh, Maryland does. And Westmore was not expected to win that primary. It was actually former DNC chair Tom Perez that was expected oh, to win Oh, he beat Tom Perez. Yes, oh, now I, oh yeah. now I have a warm, fuzzy feeling. Oh, oh that's yeah, so yeah. nice. He beat Tom Perez. But I tell you, we, 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 we had a number of people that was running. It was a, it was a big, it was, it was a big house. And uh, for him to come out ahead, uh, that was a great achievement on his part, especially, like I said, he really didn't have a political background, quite frankly. He had a primary. Yes, they certainly mm -hmm. did. And uh, there are other states, but especially the northeastern states. I'm a little biased because I'm from New Jersey. But, you know, from basically the Mason-Dixon line up north going east, you know, there does tend to be a lot more of the democratic process, which is great. Mm -hmm. uh, where we stand right now, obviously, you live in the shadow of our nation's capital. Uh, you know, Veterans Day just passed. Uh, 
and everyone has an opinion or two regarding where we stand right now oh. regarding foreign policy. As we alluded to, you know, the president was just meeting with the president of China. And that is something that, unfortunately, I do think is going to become much more of a contentious issue, even greater than what Ukra the Ukraine situation is right now. From your perspective as a retired colonel, Thor, command chief, command chief, <laughs> excuse command me, chief. excuse me, I got to get it right. I know. you gotta Yeah. Get it right. What do you see, uh, if any, possible exit strategy regarding what is going on in Ukraine? I do think that this is just that yeah. this is another Iraq waiting to happen regarding just this constant uh, entrenched warfare that could go on for years and years and billions upon tens of billions of dollars between you know, the military industrial complex conglomerates all over the world, just, you know, trading God knows what back and forth. How do you see that uh, currently unfolding as we go forward and entering, I believe, uh, the eighth month now uh, that this war is going on? Yeah, I think they actually invaded in February. Uh, so nine. OK, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, as we talk about the uh, political front, you know, I um, I remember when I was fearful of Republicans coming in because I said we're going to be at war. And now, believe it or not, I worry about the Democrats. It seems as though, you know, it just doesn't matter. And I guess it's that military industrial complex that we always talk about. But, you know, in regards to um, Ukraine and the out, you know, I've been telling folks that, you know, it's part of the Cold War that never ended. And um, and we were instigating that, uh, you know, how we got into war. And I always like to say this. I am uh, anti-war, but I'm not anti-defending yourself. But at the same time, as Ukraine tried to defend themselves, you know, we we're pushing them on. You know, we have a security interest. And likewise, Russia has a security interest. And um, if, you, if you look back in history, I think it was 2008, Ukraine tried to uh, get accepted into NATO. And uh, I think it was uh, France and Germany who resisted that. You know, United States, guess what? We were all for it. You know, but we have to think about that. You know, Russia has an interest, a security interest. And that would have put Ukraine, which is a buffer right now between the East and the West, that would have put, you know, possibly nuclear weapons and uh, a foe right next to Russia's border. And so they had been talking for the longest that, hey, listen, you know, do not accept when you talk about Taiwan, we'll talk about Taiwan here in a few minutes, too, and, 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 and the president's uh, recent visit. But uh, if you try to accept Ukraine into NATO, you know, that's a red line for us. And uh, and they've been telling us for the longest because it never was written, I'm told. But it was a verbal agreement that once, you know, Gorbachev and, and um, Reagan, you know, this wall, come, uh, tear this wall down. When it was torn down, we said we would not expand NATO. Well, guess what? We broke that. Now, we're using Ukraine, we, the United States of America, to fight that Cold War physically now. And, um, and you know, I, I saw something when we talk about war and, and, and peace and diplomacy. You know, I saw a caption of something, you know, $8 billion to fight a war in Ukraine, $3 billion to Israel, a $1 billion to Taiwan, but yet... The people of Jackson, Mississippi, have to beg for drinking water. Now, think about that. And so where do we end? As I shared with someone in a conversation yesterday, there's been no diplomatic conversations going on right now. It's all about how right. much we pour in there. And it's all about us and our imperialistic view of that we're going to tear Russia down. We're going to beat them. 
And what do you think Russia feels? How do you think they feel about that? And so, you know, I, the only thing that's going to save us right now is that we're going into the winter season and uh, we're going to probably have a lag, you know, in, in the war and it'll probably pick back up next year unless there's some diplomatic conversations. Now, I don't know this, it's just an opinion. I've noticed that Russia, you know, has given up some of the uh, territory they had captured. And I'm thinking deep down that is their way of trying to back down. And I think this is a time now for us to grab that opportunity and try to have some diplomatic and peaceful, you know, conversations right now. And I, I saw something today. I think General Milley, our chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff currently, I think he agrees with that too because I heard something, you know, he's more on the diplomatic. You know what, the ironic thing about this, we have the State Department that's talking about continuous uh, military aid to Ukraine to continue to fight a war. And you have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the senior military officer, talk about let's look at diplomatic options. And yet our Congressional Progressive Caucus sent a very sort of nicely requested letter asking President Biden to maybe, could you consider maybe talking to them? I mean, we'll still support it. But yeah. And then 24 hours later, retracted that very pleasantly worded letter. So I find it very interesting that there are people in the military uh, system that are encouraging that, but yet our representatives just could not stand the course on that. It's, it's so disappointing. Well, let's jump back into when you were talking about Veterans Day, which we celebrated on Friday. You know, uh, it's easy for members of Congress and administrations to talk about war and keeping us in these sustained wars, but it's off the backs of the men and women of the military. You know, we celebrate Veterans Day, you know, once a year. I guess we even call it Armistice Day as well. But, uh, you know, we have a tendency, you know, we send our folks off to war, but yet when they come back, you know, we see many of them that's homeless right now. You know, we see many that are fighting to getting certain VA facilities, you know, for their care. So, you know, we, we like to talk about war. We like to talk tough. I'm talking about members of Congress, both parties. But yet, you know, when it comes to our veterans, you know, we have a hard time. We should have no homeless veteran. That's just my opinion. There are going to be some, you know, you just can't help. But I think we should force, we should, you know, we, remember I talked about that $8 billion, that $3 billion, and that $1 billion? Where is some of that for our homeless veterans that went off and fight these wars? You know, I, I don't know this to be sure, but I, I do know that we have some folks, American folks, when I say American, actually military folks that are probably, you know, close to the front lines of in Ukraine. You know, the ones we see on television, the ones that's been captured, you know, they volunteer, you know, private citizens and so forth. But uh, we're going to have, you know, some folks indirectly, if they're deployed, let's say, for instance, in Poland or Ukraine itself are not fighting in the war, they're going to get injured. You know, there's going to be something that's going to happen. They're going to get injured. You know, what happens when they come back home? You know, we need to have more days of, of uh, supporting and uh, thanking our veterans, you know, other than just that one day Veterans Day. You know, thank you for fighting wars for us. What are you going to do for me daily? Yeah, I, I also like the idea of um, jobs program in that capacity. And something that we just talked about recently is the opioid crisis here. And it made me think about when we talk about veterans, um, you've got significant amounts of PTSD, significant amounts of substance use disorder. Um, and then you also have a lot of, there's a lot of domestic violence. Like there's so many problems in that community and we don't address those issues sufficiently. We really don't. And it shouldn't be up to nonprofit organizations to come in and fill the gap. Like when I see those ads for wounded warrior and all those things, it's, it's, 
it's nice that that exists, but yet shouldn't have to. Right. Like, but then I'm sitting there thinking, why would we need that if we took care of our people? Like that's the, that's what all I think about when I see that. And so it's, they need jobs and a lot of them can't get jobs because they have sus- substance use disorder. And so there's this vicious circle of can't get a job, substance use disorder, homelessness. And, and I just think that it's a, it's a huge problem in the veteran community. You know, when I retired, uh, I went and worked in the Pentagon. If you remember from my last days, I mentioned somehow I ended up working with Doug Feist and Paul Wolfowitz, you know, when I uh, retired. And I was just miserable, as you can imagine. But with that said, uh, a former boss that I had worked for, they knew I was very radical about taking care of our war wounded, you know, especially when we were going to an ill-advised lying war in Iraq. And I got this call uh, back in 2008 uh, about representing the Air Force and taking care of our war wounded. So up until May of this past year, uh, I went from the Air Force to the Army uh, and became the DOD's contract program manager for the Wounded Warrior Project, the actual sanctions, not the Wounded Warrior Project, as you talk about, you know, those uh, those organizations, those nonprofit organizations. But I was actually working with the Wounded Warrior Program. And when you talk about the opioids, and that's another problem for our veterans. You know, when they were coming back from war and all the pain that we're in, we were yeah. putting them on opioids, you know, and uh, and now they are just absolutely addicted to them. And so that is a serious issue right there with the opioids with, uh, with our veterans. And it keeps them from one getting jobs and it keeps them two from getting housing. And so it's really interesting to me, like the intersectionality of all of these things, because you really put them in a position where they have nowhere to go. You know, they're not going to get services like we shouldn't need a VA. We should just all have health care and mental health care. We should just all have that. And it shouldn't be a special system. But they need special programs like they, they, they need special, you know, assistance. Yeah, you're, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, let me just say something. I know we're, we're into the veterans and talking about the current events foreign policy wise. But I guess I, I saw the breaking news just now that that flash that looks like uh, uh, we've taken the governorship uh, in Arizona. Um, nice. Yeah, nice. yeah, exactly. So they, they yeah, the one the one variable we were talking about regarding because everyone has an opinion. And of course, it's never about economics. Everyone mm-hmm. never wants to talk about economic populism and everyone has wax poetic about this, that other you know, thing. It's always about economics. But the one variable that I did notice regarding races that were expected to go one way versus ended up going the other way, particularly in favor of the Dems versus the GOP, any of Trump's top election denier candidates almost universally lost. So to me, that says a lot regarding what happened in states like Pennsylvania, states like Arizona, even a state like Washington. It really showed that there's a lot of people who are sick of this sort of, we're going to just burn everything to the ground. It's a cult. It's cultish. I think it's just, it's cultish. Well, not only is it cultish, but, it, you know, this is a bigger picture here. When we talk about our foreign policy and we talk about we were talking about Nancy Pelosi, I was very critical uh, and I was interviewed a number of times because people were surprised. I was very critical of her going over to Taiwan at the time. Because oh, yeah. Was yeah. And, I was, and I, in fact, I, I wrote an op ed about that. It was just it was just uh, a bad time. And once again, you know, we were trying to show off where we're the leader, we're a democracy and we're going over to support a democracy. Now, why do I say that? Why do I bring that up? This cult that we talk about, the first time in my life where I ever thought our democracy was in jeopardy uh, with these election uh, uh, deniers because of the fact that if you go back to uh, six, they almost they almost took over our country. If you, if you think about this, uh, 
though there was weapons, they were not used. But just think if a bomb had went off when we had the full house, you know, I'm talking about the, the both the leadership in the House and the Senate all in one place and a bomb went off. Then you have a President Trump who's sitting there and say, I need to declare martial law. I need to take over the country. We found out what happened. Can you imagine what would have happened to our democracy? Oh, by the way, when you mentioned about the folks that lost all those races, what we're really uh, talking about, some folks that uh, the states, not the state's attorneys, but the, uh, uh, man, I forgot their title, but the ones that could have controlled. Secretary of State. Pardon me? Secretary of State. Secretary of State, exactly, exactly, Secretary of State. I, uh, can you imagine if they would have won in a certain states, you know, especially, you know, those states that, uh, you know, could be, let's say, perceived as purple, and what could have happened in that case. So I think, you know, this particular cult, we need to be on the lookout for it because of the fact, uh, I mean, that was the closest we ever uh, came to actually losing our democracy and take that very seriously. Cause I was in Washington DC and, and saw what was happening, you know, you know, just a few miles from me. And, uh, yeah. and so we need to think about that. And, and even though um, I never really thought that Michigan was necessarily going to tilt red, um, I do not uh, like, anything that the heads of state in Michigan do, particularly regarding Flint. Uh, but I will say that the person who was running for secretary of state on the GOP side in Michigan was definitely a, a lunatic. That That's the nicest way that I can put it. Um, oh, we had a couple of them. Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> a, a oh, lunatic. yeah. yeah. And, and that person whose name is slipping me right now is not even conceding, you know, lost the race relatively easily. But you know, at the end of the day, I do think that that was a very key determining factor in a number of places that ultimately the GOP are still going to take the House. But at the end of the day, this could have been a very, very red midterms. And I do think that Trump and his acolytes kind of prevented it from happening. Yeah. Let me share something else with you. As you notice, I keep trying to tie this where my opinions and expertise come into play, you know, with veterans and the military. When we talk about, you know, those deniers and everything, well, really disappointed me, too. We had two three-star generals retired that had a lot of influence when they were in the military. One that you've heard a lot of, Mike Flynn, and uh, this, you know, nutcase, and he's a nut. Can you imagine this? This guy was in charge of the entire Department of Defense's intelligence. Now, that's scary, you know. Another individual who I worked with in the Air Force at the time, a guy by the name of Tom McInerney, he was a QAnon supporter big time. I know that and, man. And uh, Tom McInerney, you know, he was the one that was talking about, I guess, the CIAC, some elections <laughs> or some machines over in Europe somewhere. He's the one that was a big part of that. And so that makes it scary, too. So when we talk about, you know, uh, veterans and, 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 and supporting our veterans and thanking our veterans, we're not immune from silliness either. <laughs> you know, just because we're in the military and especially generals, we seem to put generals on high esteem, you know. And uh, but, you know, we're not immune. And I guess my biggest disappointment was. You know, we go to war as a team uh, to fight and defend our country. But at the same time, you know, we have some weird thinking folks in the military as well, unfortunately and sadly. But we just think about this. We recruit from society. So that's where it comes from. Sergeant, it's obviously always a pleasure to have you on the show. We have one last thought we definitely want to get your opinion on before you do go, because obviously this is a major breaking news Uh That happened today. I'm going to put it up on the screen for everybody to see. Uh, This is unfortunately a byproduct of what happens in other parts of the world where 
you know, there's a lot of things that are wrong with our country, but we don't have problems like this. And so unfortunately, in the Republic of Iran, there is uh, President uh, uh, Pasai, I think is how you say his name. Uh, let me, I want to make sure that I said that correctly, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. Let's uh, go with that, though. So he is uh, the, the Iranian protesters, which has gotten into the potentially hundreds of thousands. Um, it's gotten very, very serious. Uh, they're trying to make an example of what happens in a country that practices Sharia law. And that is, if you protest, we will put you to death. And that is what they're planning to do. Put 15,000 people to death. As an example, that you do not protest the Republic of Iran's government. And as of right now, not enough people are making a big deal about this. But if you want to talk about what a real humanitarian crisis in the world looks like, this is it. And what are we prepared to do about it? Sergeant, what would you do? Well, that's, 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 that's a hard one there. You know, I mean, you know, one of the things, let me just give you a little history of something. It goes back to the uh, Iraq war days. And uh, during the Bush administration, uh, when they had a plan to take out Iraq first, then Syria, then finally Iran, and try to, that's when Bush, you know, uh, theme was, you know, try to democratize the Middle East. <laughs> the last one they were going to uh, try was Iran if their plan would have succeeded. And the reason they did was because of what's happening right now. And what's happening right now, they thought that they would not ever have to attack Iran. It would be done within because of the fact of the young population that they had at the time. And those, and though, you know, they have the Sharia law, they were very Americanized. They loved our clothing. They love our music and so forth. And they thought maybe, so what would I do? Not nothing militarily, because then we're going against the grain of what we always talk about. You know, I'm anti-war, but I do think we need to support them continually, you know, verbally and be very outspoken about what's going on over there. Because that's you're talking about lunacy. That's lunatic. You know, we're talking about, you know, killing people because, because they were protesting, you know. So I would absolutely this is where the State Department really comes into play of, uh, you know, and of course, I know we have, you know, folks on the ground that's going to keep, you know, supporting and pushing. So. Everything I will tell you, nothing militarily, but definitely, you know, diplomatically, offer them that the moral support and, uh, you know, any communications that's, uh, you know, that's dropped in Iran, whatever we can with our satellites to make sure that communications between those that are protesting uh, remains active. Sergeant, it is truly a pleasure and happy Veterans Day, even though it's not Veterans Day, because we really do appreciate what you're doing. And I think on our show, we try to embody the type of message that one wants to send regarding supporting our veterans in this country. The goal is to not have war. Right. The best way to honor them is to stop creating wars for profit. That, that would help. That would help. Uh, yeah. Agree. Agree. hundred percent. Thank you for coming on. We will Wait, definitely. Always, thank you all. Good again. seeing you again and look forward to the next time. Thanks, thank Dennis. you, Sergeant. Okay, Appreciate bye-bye. It. Have a good one. So as always, he is a fantastic person to speak to. And yeah. We definitely learn a lot from our veterans. And, you know, we try to have the best possible message we can, which is war is definitely the last answer. I know. Unfortunately, in our country, <laughs> war often is the first answer. And then, 
And, if and a very nicely worded letter to the president. Would you please maybe consider having diplomatic discussions, even though we're going to give you the money anyway? Would you please consider that? And that was just too far across the line and how to get yanked that crap back. And the great thing about our next guest, who a lot of you know, uh, is the fact that she actually is anti-war and that message is not loud enough in this country. And we see it all too often, uh, even in independent media who claim to be on the left and have sort of justification as to why we need to be in Ukraine, why we right. need to be in Taiwan, and ultimately why we need to be in Tehran, because we know that's coming next. Uh, you know, shoot first, ask questions. Well, I just think you it's one of those you really can't consider yourself a leftist if you have like a Ukraine flag filter over your profile. Well, let's figure out exactly what a leftist okay. is. Maybe we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm talking about an actual leftist. I'm, I'm done cons like comparing it to our partisan nonsense. She's the host of The Kim Iverson Show. You know her, you love her. Kim Iverson, welcome back to Generational Change. Thanks for having me. I would love to know what a leftist is also these days. Okay. I don't know what left is. I don't know what right is. I certainly don't know the definition of liberal. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I'm talking about like when I if I go back in my brain, which it's hard to get into that to when I was taking Marxism and learning stuff like in terms of like the philosophy of politics more mm -hmm. so than how it's, uh, you know, in an applied way in this country. And to me, when I think of the left, I think of labor. And when I think of the left, I think of a collective power as opposed to a right, which is the more authoritarian type power. And I, I'm I, again, I'm not talking within our political paradigm. Like that's kind of a right. different thing. But so that's why I've just started saying I'm I'm just a leftist. Like I I'm with I'm with labor. I'm with the in the class war. I'm with these guys. Right. So to me, that's what it says more so than political. Right. Yeah. But it still would have to be defined even further than that. I think in order to be able to lump people, because even by your definition, yeah. there would be people who say themselves leftists, but maybe you don't agree on even how to get to the place where, you know, the workers are, have more power in the country, right? So there might yeah. even be policy differences on that. And then because there's policy differences, one might point to the other and say, well, then you're not a real leftist, because if you don't well, believe in <laughs> workers owning the means of production, then you're not a leftist. Right. See, you took the whole thing and you brought it into the political spectrum and applied it to people arguing with each other. And yes, when you do that, then yes. And then you have all these people that have to like have different things to say about it. And yeah. they're mean. You know that they're so mean. Yeah. Yeah. But I definitely think that, um, it, you know, it, and then interestingly, if you say, OK, the anti-war perspective, as you guys were just discussing, um, what what is the the actual position of being anti-war? Is that a leftist principle? Because we are seeing it's now a lot of people on the right, principle. right? It's a it's populist, a populist principle, right. principle. So it could be if you're looking at left and right from you know people's social you know on social issues, you're going to have populists left and right. We're seeing that, like so we that's are, yeah. and I just feel like overall we the Democrats are thinking they can beat the right from the center. And I, that's just not going to work. Yeah. So so until they try to approach it from a labor left, um, it's going to kind of just keep going nowhere. That's that's how I kind of see it politically. Happening. Yeah. A great, great example is, uh, you know, everyone focused on the Senate race here in Florida uh, in in conjunction with obviously Governor DeSantis against Charlie Crist. But Val Demings, a sitting congresswoman, ran against Marco Rubio and did everything in her power to run a far to the right past Rubio on a number of key issues 
such as law enforcement, um, such as it seemed like foreign policy in many ways. And she ended up outspending him by $25 million. And her reward for that was losing by 17 points. So clearly that doesn't work. And there's a lot of people who are just kind of learning the hard way that there is a growing like civil liberties slash anti-war movement in this country. But it seems like the loudest voices are coming from people who are not necessarily on the right. There's this idea that, well, if you vote Democrat, you're on the left. If you vote Republican, you're on the right. It seems like a lot of people that are voting Republican are voting Republican that are very loud about being anti-war. I'm not seeing that as much as of right now on the Democratic side. It seems like the loudest anti-war voice in the country at this moment in terms of elected office is Thomas Massey in Kentucky. Yeah. And that's not good because he's, <laughs> he is he is like ex, he is like real libertarian right regarding economics. Yeah, he is. So how he, how is somebody by the way, how is anybody more pro-war than Marco Rubio? I mean, he's pretty hardcore. Maybe on Ukraine he's a bit different, but otherwise I I, I think it was more law enforcement. Like she, you know, she really played into her background as chief of, you know, the first female chief of Orlando. They were referring to her as chief on the campaign. She was all about like funding the police. Like just her logo was a police badge. Like I just, I just, she really leaned into that. And I just don't think that that worked well. I did because Marco Rubio, I mean, he's, he's always been, He and, you know, his Twitter account. I mean, he I don't know how he hasn't you know, they were banning all these people. (laughs) Marco Rubio would have been the first person that guy puts bloody, gory photographs of, you know, he threatens political leaders in foreign countries saying you're next. You know, that's what he did to um, uh, he showed a picture of Gaddafi and he did that to Maduro. And he was like, you're next. I mean, he's the biggest warmonger, one of the biggest warmongers in Washington. But I know with Ukraine, he's had a different viewpoint. Uh, than he has with everything else. But yeah, he is, he's a, maybe he's learning to change his tune. I don't know. Well, I think the country's definitely going to go somewhere, you know, regarding, uh, you know, what's going to ultimately end up happening uh, with Ukraine, which obviously is a going to be an even bigger talking point. We saw the president meet with the president of China today. Taiwan is obviously going to become a very contentious issue. I, I think mm. a lot of people are getting scared and rightfully so. We're, we're just... There's so much saber rattling going on and there isn't enough voices that are standing up and saying this has got to stop. And as Jen was just mentioning a few minutes ago, you know, when the supposed progressive caucus just writes a letter and it wasn't gets, even stern, not at all, what? gets stir- gets soundly rejected and they get in line immediately. And by the way, they apologize. Right. And then they apologize. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend the military industrial complex. (laughs) Is this the Democratic Party? Like, what is it? Yeah, it's really bizarre what's going on. I mean, with the left, with Democrats, I should say, you know, they've how much they've embraced war going from, you know, let's dip our toe in that direction. And it's maybe it's somewhat okay to be against uh, you know, you know, to to be against certain leaders and maybe want them ousted and then kind of moving towards just where they're at now, where they're all out for war, um, thinking that, you know, if we need to do a full on war with Russia, you know, that many Democrats would sign up for that and say, yes, let's do a full on actual act, hot war with Russia. Um, you know, like, as you mentioned, the fact that progressives would even have to apologize for even appearing to be anti-war for a minute 
is shows just how far gone the Democratic Party is when it comes to being the party that would somewhat represent being anti-war. Um, now it's now that's over. And now Republicans have picked up that mantle. I don't have any hope for the Republican Party right now for, you know, had Republicans taken the Senate, which they didn't. But in um, House is to be determined. But if Republicans would have gained complete control over Congress, I was not under any illusion that suddenly we would stop funding the war in Ukraine. I think that right. there would be some Republican voices, as you mentioned, Thomas Massey, who would stand up and say, hey, we shouldn't be doing this. And there would be a lot of Republicans that would join in on that and say that they are against funding you know, further. Maybe they would scale back the level of funding a bit. But I still think that there are, you know, ultimately they're they're very much still in bed with the military industrial complex and they ultimately would vote in line with it. Um, maybe they would try to package the the aid with, you know, something else that would get Republican vo voters on board with it. You know, and then and then that way they would say, well, we had to fund, you know, Ukraine just happened to be part of it. We just slipped that in there, <laughs> parting this a part of this funding. Um, you know, so I don't think that even the Republican Party is quite there yet, but they certainly are moving in that direction. And that is going to be a really interesting shift as we see this realignment sort of happening. And right now, I think even this latest election really showcased that that realignment that's happening. You know, people aren't full blown moving over to the Republican Party just yet. People are very hesitant about that. They don't like where the Democratic Party is, but they're not quite ready to say yes to a Republican. Right. So we. I thought it was a rejection of both parties in so many ways. The only thing that was outside the purview of economics and, and possibly Roe v. Wade was the fact that all of these big election denier candidates, they all lost. And I do think that that was very telling, particularly in Washington and Arizona and obviously the big ones in Pennsylvania. I yeah. think that really was definitive. And, and maybe, you know, it, it could be, you know, just a good transition to talk about, you know, what is the future? Is it going to be Trump or is it going to be DeSantis? Because uh, a lot of people feel that Trump's stamp on the midterms really cost the GOP in many ways. Yeah. And I don't I don't I didn't really view it that way. I actually viewed it as the candidates that were the the Trump candidates, the Trump endorsed candidates were all completely out of touch. Not they just weren't the everyman that the original Trump campaign in 2016 really was able to capture was that every man populist, that yeah. the, the forgotten person that just wanted to be seen and heard in America that cares about working class issues. You know, the Trump campaign certainly deviated that in 2020. Um, and, and Bernie Sanders as well, I felt like deviated from that message that made him really popular in 2016. I think both candidates really failed in 2020 with their campaigns on really just honing in and pounding that populist message. They both failed on that and they went into culture wars instead. Um, what I saw with this election was that the candidates were bad. I mean, I agree with the Republicans on that. A lot of the pundits that are coming out saying, well, you know, we need to have good candidates. Yeah. I mean, a TV doctor, um, <laughs> you know, a venture capitalist in Arizona, a, you know, an NFL millionaire in, in Georgia. I mean, these people are not representative and Trump isn't either. Right. I mean, he didn't represent the every man in 20, every man in 2016, but he was the, he, but he did, he was able to, you know, he was like eating steak with ketchup and drinking his diet Cokes and saying whatever he wanted to say. And that captivated bowl. people. What's that? The taco bowl. Yeah, exactly. You know, that just, 
that may, you know, and he's eating McDonald's or whatever. And he just, even though he's this wealthy, privileged person who came from wealth and never lived in, you know, regular mid, you know, uh, uh, middle-class America, he never came from that. He still was able to make them feel like he did. And that captivated the people in 2016. They felt like finally someone just saying it like it is. I mean, can you emphasize, Kim, I mean, to me, that's really the lost talking point here that I think people are forgetting. There are tens of millions of people in this country who feel like nobody gives a damn about them and know that nobody gives a damn about them. And even if you give them lip service, they'll take that over basically just being patronized to death, which is unfortunately the loudest voices in the Democratic Party seem to do that all the time. Right. Whereas somebody like, you know, Trump is, you know, full of it in almost every way, but is going to pay lip service to those and tell them you're really great people. You're tremendous people. We're totally supporting you. And it's like, (laughs) you know, that's better than that. You're so good at that. But that's better than nothing. That's better than basically being told you're going to vote for us. And that's all you're going to do. Well, he ran on a populist message. He ran on a populist message in 2016. Yeah. And so now what happens is his niche, his cult has gotten smaller and smaller because the people that fell for the populist message, they're not in with it anymore. And now all he's retaining are the cultists. So it's almost like he doesn't need to have the the other candidates were never going to be populist candidates. They were going to be now part of this new sort of just election denier cult. Right. Yeah. It wasn't none of them represented the everyman. And that's that's that was really the ultimate, I think, big problem. People could not connect with a millionaire venture capitalist. People cannot connect with celebrity TV doctors. They just can't connect with these people. They don't represent them and they don't even speak like them in the way that Trump did, at least. So that to me was actually the bigger failing. It wasn't about whether or not Trump endorsed them or whether or not they even agreed with the election, um, with the outcome of the election. I mean, they they could have. I think that they could have still had those things and still won had they actually been like Fetterman, who seemed more like what would have been considered the Trumpian candidate. Kind of. Uh, You know, had he been a Republican, he would have been very much viewed as the the Trump type. You know, here's just like a guy who's he just represents the people. He doesn't have the same political polish. And that's what people want. You know, Oz was like politically polished, even though he'd never run a campaign before. He still had that TV persona, you know, looked nice, had all the money. Um, Fetterman represented what the people really were voting for, even in 2016, when they were going for either Trump or Bernie Sanders. So that to me was the real failing. It was just another showcasing of how far gone the populist message has is, you know, it's just gone. Uh, No one's really retaining it on either side. And Trump, you know, really the mistake that he made was firing Steve Bannon, to be quite honest with you. I think Steve Bannon, you know, like the guy or not, was extremely intelligent and is extremely, extremely intelligent and extremely in tune with that populist message. Now, I don't agree with a lot of what Steve Bannon says on what his policy prescriptions would be, but I still think he understood the sentiment of populism. And he was the one who guided Trump's campaign in 2016 because Trump doesn't have it instinctively. Um, (laughs) You know, it's not Trump is not really his own made man politically. Right. He's like created by these other people who are around him, kind of encouraging him to take certain stances. I don't think Trump can be controlled, but I don't I think he could be encouraged and he enjoys um, being popular. So what to me, what happened was he lost the advisors around him that were really, truly guiding him in that direction. Those advisors went by the wayside. And the only people left were the ones that were just fanning him as a person saying, you're wonderful, you're great, people love you. 
It wasn't him that people fell for in 2016. It was the message that he delivered. It could have been anybody. It wasn't about Trump. But that got that has now been lost even by Trump himself because he's kind of thinking, no, it's me. They all love me. No, they loved what he said in 2016. That was then lost. It was the same thing with Bernie Sanders. And a lot of people loved what he was saying. And then as he's deviated from that message, he's losing supporters. People aren't as in love with Donald Trump as the media would make it sound like. You know, they make it sound like, oh, these people are a cult. And they're really not. They want that populist message. So since it's been abandoned and these midterms have showcased that it, it was abandoned even more, except for Ron DeSantis, I think he... I think he ran with it and we saw the outcome of that. Um, that's the winning message. And Republicans do need to get back on board with that. And so do Democrats. Those, you know, the, the progressives that just, and Bernie even himself, where's his anti-war message? I don't know. You know, it's like he buried it. And so has the progressive left. And that that's the stuff that people want. And they're not getting it anymore from anyone except for Ron DeSantis right now. And guys like Fetterman. You know, it's yeah, coming isn't, that, isn't that interesting company? I think it's like the lines are very blurry to me because when you're sitting there and you're talking about, yeah, I could see Fetterman being a Republican, like that image, that kind of person going around, you know, working people, middle of Pennsylvania. Absolutely. Like I could see that. And the fact that that's so easy to see, it's it's very kind of it, it seems very like amorphous. And a lot of people on the left, of course, are very quick to point out how Fetterman supports fracking. And, you know, it's like you you have to pass the purity test, Kim. You know, if you don't right, pass right. the purity test, you just do not qualify. Then you're not capable of fighting for labor because you don't agree with us on everything. Right. Um, but so it's like they'll find that one thing and say, well, he's not real progressive. He's not real, you know, to, and I, I don't get it. We have to figure out how we're going to build this coalition stronger. And I think, again, I'm as anti-fracking as it gets, but I also understand that fracking is as big in Pennsylvania as it is in anywhere in the whole country. Hold on. Dirtbag, yeah. she wasn't saying DeSantis is anti-war. She was saying he was running on a populist message. Yeah, Let's we not, don't know anything about his foreign policy. Right, actually. no. Th- I no, think he misunderstood thing, that you were saying nobody but DeSantis, not anti-war, that he was using that populist message. Yeah, the only thing right I can say about DeSantis in that regard is that he never saber-rattled against Maduro. I never saw him do that once. Rubio did, but I never saw DeSantis really uh, pay any lip service to that Um Debbie Wasserman Schultz sure did, but <laughs> right, I yeah, yeah, he um, hasn't said much about his foreign policy, and you know there is, and that is a big question. I think if he is yeah. going to become a presidential candidate, um, I would really love he, to know. Do you think that him and that he and Trump will have a primary? Do you think it's going to happen? I think if DeSantis is smart, yes. I wouldn't have said that before, but I think the you know strike while the iron's hot, right? And he his stock is his stock will high. never be higher than it is right. Now. Yeah, it's really, truly now or never. And, you know, I think Trump is giving him the green light to do it because Trump keeps making stupid remarks about, I mean, if Trump were smart, which he's not, you know, he would just keep his mouth shut and he wouldn't say anything. He would just champion Ron DeSantis as this really good guy. And then what would happen if Ron ran against him is then Ron would look bad, right? Ron would look like, well, you're kind of a traitor. Like here's this guy that helped you out and he helped build your career. And you know, got, got you elected as governor, you know, was significant in, in a player in that. And now look at you, you're running against him. He should have let Ron fall on his own sword on that. But instead he's like giving him the pass. He's like, go ahead. Because now when he attacks Ron DeSantis, people get mad. His own supporters get mad. You know, Trump supporters get upset with him. And they're like, why are you doing that? He's on our side. And so 
it's just making Trump look bad and it's making Ron DeSantis look better, especially since he's not saying anything in return. And so I, I do think that, look, I mean, Trump's come after him at this point, no love lost. He might as well. Uh, he might as well because Trump's being a jerk to him and he might as well because strike while the iron's hot. And I do think that he would win the nomination in the end. I yeah. do think, he and would I think actually there's going to be other fringe people in that too, like Mike Pence and uh, Kanye yeah. West and what other. Liz Cheney. Pence, Pence, Wait, Pence who did gonna... you say? Who? Cheney, Liz Cheney. Oh, oh, good God. Why doesn't she just, you know, run as a Democrat since they love her so much? I, no, she'd she... probably do better if she did. Probably would. Considering the pro-war, the pro-war lean the Democratic Party oh, yeah. she has right now, just run as Dick Cheney's daughter and see how far that gets you. I, I, I tell you, the idea that anyone would want to hear, I don't care if you fell on the sword for 10 times over, you are still the country's biggest warmonger that I've seen in my lifetime, maybe the biggest ever, you are still in Congress because of that man. Right. And yeah. the idea that anybody wants to be, when the comfortable liberals in the suburbs decide that, that Liz Cheney is their champion, it's like, all right, now you know this party's really, really lost. You well, can you know, we, we talk so much about the Bernie Sanders supporters who voted for Trump, but we don't right. talk much about the Bush supporters who voted now for Biden, right? Like we don't really hear about that as much. And I do think that there is a major shift from the Bush Republican years and the McCain Republican years who now, I mean, we we hear it a little bit, but not nearly as much as like the left moving to the right. What about all of the right now moving to the left? And And they are feeding and fueling that part of the Democratic Party now. If you become this pro Wall Street a party as the Democratic Party in many respects has become, of yeah. course you're going to invite the affluent, you know, suburbanites. That's what they're yeah. looking for. They're only looking for their bottom line. When I hear people saying that, you know, Biden is a successful president, I'm like, what? On what measure? What are you yeah, measuring it against? And the whole thing about the he's fact breathing? that he's breathing, like, is it just coincidental that? Two days, two days after the midterms, they decide, yeah, this judge decided you can't cancel student debt. It's like, come on already. Yeah. Like, how do you not see the scam that's being pulled? Unless you really have non-corporate economic populism. I don't care what you think Biden is doing to dress it up. If anything, as you suggested, it's about just keeping people at bay for as long as possible. Well, yeah, they're not going to do anything. They all work for the same, they all have the same owners. So yeah, if they're all serving at the same owners, then why would anybody expect a different result other than just watching like WWF political theater? So yeah. I just, like, I never took any of it seriously. I never thought there was going to be student debt relief. Never even thought it for a second. Never thought it was a legitimate offer. Always thought it was iffy. So like, who believes that? It's you. It's almost like how many times is someone going to come up to you and tell you if something on your shirt? Like that's what it looks like to me with the Democrats, and people are just getting tired of it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting going forward. I mean, we certainly this midterm election didn't. You know, it it definitely ended up differently than I think we all kind of thought it would. We all thought that the Republicans would absolutely clean house, and I think they had every reason and every opportunity to clean house. Um, but unfortunately the candidates that they did put out, like I mentioned, were, you know, out of touch with the people, people could not connect to them. And also the message, I mean, if you're just going to run on what happened in 2020 to Donald Trump, that's one person that, you know, people want to talk about inflation. They want to talk about what's going on in schools or their perception of these things. They want to, they want 
that they want to talk about immigration, right? They want to talk about these issues that they believe are really, truly affecting their lives. War, right? The war in Ukraine. These are the things that they want politicians to expound upon, but they're not, you know, they're, they're sticking to, um, you know, elections need to change or, um, or January 6th, you know, Democrats running on that, like January 6th, we need, we got to get everybody for that. I mean, these messages are just not popular. And I, I think the Democrats, you know, definitely deserved a much greater loss than they, than they ended up with, but Republicans just didn't give people enough to actually vote for. Um, and that's the biggest problem. Democrats actually gave them something to vote for in several of the states when they put those abortion um, in uh, five of the states. I believe it was a, a like a pro-row um, ballot measure. And on a couple of the states, I think Kentucky and Montana, they were actually pro-life ballot measures. And both of those, you know, whether they be pro-life or pro-choice, drove out that youth vote and really really open up where people just said, I got to go out and I've got to vote because this is a really important thing to vote for. Um, So that was smart, you know, for Democrats to put those on the ballot. It wasn't very smart for, you know, the pro-lifers to put that on those ballot measures together in their states. Um, But, you know, I I, really, that was something that drove a lot of the, at least I'm going to go vote for something. But otherwise, I don't know what people were voting for in this midterm election. And I don't think they knew either. No, no, we I've said a million times, I think it would have been worse if there wasn't the Roe v. Wade issue. Like, I actually think DeSantis could have had gotten another 10 points on Charlie Crist if it weren't for Roe v. Wade. And that that is why a lot of women came out and voted and young people for sure. And there's and there's a lot of people who are still always going to vote red. But if you look at very red states like Kentucky and Montana, they voted to codify Roe. Right. And that, I think, says a lot. It's not a surprise that Michigan did fully expected that to happen. And I think there were a couple of others as well. California. Uh, California. You know, we, yeah. When, when you put it in the hands of the people, they generally make good decisions. When it becomes this red versus blue divide, that's when the real war starts. And now we know that it's definitely going to all for all intents and purposes, it is Trump versus DeSantis on the GOP side. Others will obviously get in, but we know what it's going to come Kanye. down to. Regarding Kanye. The de- <laughs> yeah. Regarding the Democratic Party. There, Biden has already come out, said, I'm running again. And there's already the chirping. He won't remember that. next week that he said that, though. So don't you never know. It. You never Somebody <laughs> will remind him. But you've got all of the D.C. punditry and all of these consultants saying we can't have a primary. We must protect. It's all about we're, we're protecting democracy. We have to protect democracy by, by not voting, de- by yeah. preventing democracy, by not having a primary. Right. I mean, that does that make any sense at all? Of to Democrats, not. yes. To Democrats, especially in our state, they are vehemently opposed to primaries. Isn't that crazy? I mean, how can you be oh, pro-democracy yeah. and, and yet be so blatantly, obviously against democracy? Yeah, they're way worse than the Republicans in terms of that. We do not have robust primaries, not in our state, right. not our party. There is, you do not challenge incumbents, period. They're never, they're never going to get behind that. You're not allowed to challenge an incumbent. They can sit there until they die or until they choose to go for something higher. I still think yeah. somebody has to challenge Biden for this reason. I don't think with all of the Democrats constantly harping on the GOP, and look, both parties suck almost equally. We all know that. Right. But the fact is, is that the, the, the harping on the GOP election denialism still can't match the fact that the Democratic Party is not a Democratic Party. It has super delegates. It has a full safe 
uh, release if necessary to unleash on the people in order to prevent any real systemic yeah. change from happening unless that particular issue is dealt with. And quite frankly, I would be happy with somebody just running in a primary against the president talking about the fact that you're never going to have a true economic populist uprising in the Democratic Party if these fail safe points are still in place in future elections. Yeah. I still think the GOP is going to win in 24. Oh, yeah. But that doesn't mean that you do not continue to do what is necessary to reform the Democratic Party in whatever way it can be done. Your thoughts on that? Won't it be so interesting? I agree with you completely um, that, you know, absolutely, you know, but who would do the Who would run against them? I mean, it, the the obvious answer would be somebody from the progressive wing of the party that would then challenge and say, we need to make some change that's better for the people. Right. But they're falling in line completely. So they're not going to challenge him at all. They're, Why they're, are they falling in line? I, Why are they falling in line? You know, that is a really good question. That right there is a very good question. I don't know why they're falling in line. You know, they say that they're still powered by the people, people funded. So if they're not accepting big corporate money, um, they certainly are still, though, taking money from the DCCC, right? They've got Nancy Pelosi's purse strings that are helping them with their campaigns. That's... that's so that is a big one right there. I mean, I think um, what you don't want, uh, if you're one of them, is for the DCCC to fund your competitor in a prime to primary you to essentially unleash their purse strings on that. And that is what they're threatened with. I think they're they fell into this. They enjoy the power. It wasn't about you know, and that's that's human nature. I think anytime you get you know anybody is corruptible. And and people are corruptible for different reasons. It's not just you're bought out. And that's always the obvious one that we think of is, oh, you're bought out by the corporate big money donors. But it could be something as simple as you just enjoy seeing yourself on Vanity Fair magazine. And well, yeah, you're bought, you bought, you're bought by fame. You're bought by notoriety like that appeals to you. And I think that obviously we know who you're talking about, but, but like, (laughs) but even amongst other people there, I really think it does become a personal mission to just stay there. However, I do think there are people in that group that do believe, and it might be rightfully so. First of all, two years is a very short period of time to be able to get anything done. And you're always running for reelection. And I do believe that there are people that think that they're not going to be able to get anything done unless they're there for some amount of time. Like, and that if they lose their seat, what they're working on is not going to happen. So I do think there might be some legitimate people, but for the most part, it's just to me, careerism. Right. That's what yeah. it seems to me. And, if, and that, that is an ad. I think that is a really good reason for term limits, especially for the house, you know, to say, yeah. um, you could, you know, maybe change the length of the term, say, okay, it could be a four year term, but you can only serve it once. And that's it. Then you got to get out yeah. and you have to endorse the next one and that, you know, and, and help somebody else. And if you want, if you want to continue a career in politics and you're going to have to run for a different office, and then maybe that would encourage some of them to start primarying for other places, you know, they want to be in the Senate next, or they want to be president, you know, then they would have to actually challenge for those seats. But, yeah. you know, I do think that there is an argument to be made for that just to end the careerism, you know, that happens in Congress and then just kind of, you know, and so what they sit there, they, oh, what I want to work on this. And I've got this thing that I'm, what, well, what, what are you working on? Because we're not noticing anything being worked on well, ever as the people. There is that. Well, even if we're in a situation right now where the GOP is very likely going to get the House by probably only a couple of seats. Wait, I'm sorry. What happened with Katie Porter's seat? She's, it's still She's going still, on. Yeah. What is taking them so long? Are you in California still? I can? am, yeah. What is going on? They, you know, we, everybody does mail-in and we have until the day of the election to mail in our ballots. 
So they're just still collecting them and counting them. Yeah. And I don't know why I, I don't know why the process can't be sped up. I don't know why those ballots can't be expedited. Like the mailman sees that ballot and then automatically drops it. You know, maybe the, the mail carriers drop it to a, like a voting center where it can be immediately counted. And then in which case all of the ballots should have been turned in on Wednesday. Right. Yeah. I mean, it just seems we could do better. I'm, I'm yes. thinking we could do better. And I'm like on the edge of my seat about the Katie Porter thing. And the Democrats yeah. only thought her worthy of $300,000 against the 8 million thrown in against her. So that's yeah. how much the Democrats are concerned with keeping their, keeping the house. They should have definitely been more concerned. I mean, Orange County is purple. Um, yeah. It's always been purple. It's definitely not a deep blue area. It's a purple area. And um, everybody who runs there, no matter which side they're on, is always at risk of being replaced by the other party because it is such a purple zone. So I don't know why they wouldn't have tried harder to keep her, but I don't think, but you know why, but you know why they didn't yes. try. They don't, they, they don't want her there. They, they don't, don't want her. her. <laughs> they don't like her whiteboard. They don't like her whiteboard. When everybody was in love, and I mean in love with Auntie Maxine Waters for a good two years, <laughs> do people not understand that she is one of the most corrupt representatives in all she of really Congress is. and made yeah. sure that Katie Porter was taken off of the financial committee? That's yeah. not a mistake. That's not a mistake. That is deliberately done because the second you start going after the big banks, you're messing with both parties' biggest donors. Yeah. And that is something the Democratic Party at the very top simply cannot have. And whether it's Maxine, Pelosi, Clyburn, Hoyer, these people are all over 80 years old. They're so far out of touch at this point, And they kind of think they're going to live forever. They're just going to stay there as long as they want. You know, it's like Strom Thurmond. I'm literally going to wheel you out when you're dead. Like it happened. Down I think here he with actually Hastings. died before they wheeled him out. And we just didn't know. <laughs> it's possible. Taxidermy Mitch McConnell out. looks dead to me. Mitch, Mitch McConnell's uh, somehow being propped up. But it, it is. I, I think there is a particular area where all of us, even the people that, you know, we see in social in, in, in like you know, corporate, well, not corporate media, but independent media, like what you do, you know, we're very friendly with you. We're very friendly with your frenemy, Mike Figueredo. I think there is definitely an opportunity here for a lot of people to get together and identify one particular issue that I think we can all agree we need to be calling out and can actually change politics for the better. There is a consultant industrial complex that exists within politics. It is a huge problem. The idea that Katie Porter could very easily lose her seat. And yet somehow Marjorie Taylor Greene's opponent, Marcus Flowers, who had no chance in hell of <laughs> winning that race. So much money. Plus 27 R district. And somehow this guy gets $16 million to run against Marjorie Taylor Greene to lose by 31 points. God, the Democrats. <laughs> One of the best things about John Fetterman was when he, he and his team called out Scott Dworkin. I'm sure you know the name. One of the biggest consultants in all of D.C. on the Democratic side. Uh, basically blew the lid on the fact that his organization, 80% of the money that comes in that is supposed to help Democratic candidates is really going to consultants to pay them. Yeah. I think this is a huge problem on probably both sides, but definitely on the Democratic side that I think we can all agree with is something that I think if we collectively worked on together, we could probably really blow the lid on this. And a lot of people will start you know, not wanting to support the consultant industrial complex anymore. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I agree that that definitely has um, it, it, that's definitely a giant impact on what is happening, even just down to, you know, for one, we know that the consultants were telling the, the DCCC operatives how to co-opt the progressive left. 
how to get them in the fold, right? There was this big problem with the Bernie Sanders wing of the party. They were defiant. They were, you know, they were rogue and they needed to bring them in and they figured out how to do it. And they, they spoke the language of that group of people to bring them in and to keep them in. So they're very powerful at that. They're also very powerful at, at identifying and figuring out how to spend money on your opponents in order to get the best opponent for you on the ticket, right? They spend tons of money on the Republican party. That is what's going to be really interesting is with the Trump Ron DeSantis battle. If it comes out that those, if Ron DeSantis throws his hat in the ring, what do you think the Democrats are going to do? They're going to fund Trump. They're going to actually put a bunch of money behind. I mean, I, I would just imagine they know that Ron DeSantis would be much harder to beat than Donald Trump. Agreed. Yeah, but can't we can't we go back and and recognize that that Pied Piper strategy just really didn't serve? Like, when will they learn that that's just not the good plan? It did work this time. It worked. Oh, you in mean, this I'm election. talking about in 2016. Like, that's what Hillary Clinton's big plan. Oh, was right, like. right, right, right. Yeah. Right. Let's see. Yeah, if that, that didn't backfires. work. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like they think that's a good plan, but it backfires. And I just, I just think Trump's group is smaller and smaller. His niche is smaller right, and smaller. But th- I think they think that too. So that's why they, yeah. would, they would back him to try to get him reelected or, yeah. or to get him the nomination over Ron DeSantis. They would do whatever they could. And it would be really interesting to see what it is, those operatives, those consultants, what they would advise them to do. Would they start advising all of the mainstream media to start talking good about Donald Trump in order to get people to, um, you know, maybe say, oh, okay, I guess, you know, I'll take another look at him. And I guess he's not so bad. Like, would they, would they tamp down on the negative press for him? Would they ramp it up? Like, what are these consultants going to say in order to try to get, in order to meddle, quite frankly, with the elections? You know, they talk about Russian disinformation all the time coming into our country and uh, putting a bunch of information on Facebook that duped America into, into electing Donald Trump in 2016. Meanwhile, they do the same thing, you know, with elections by pumping a bunch of money into the Republican side to get the, you know, to, to, boost up certain people uh, and to and to even uh, diminish others in order to get an opponent that they would rather face. Um, And so they're doing it all the time. Interestingly, spending money in order to sway voters in a certain direction that they know is ultimately not in their best interest. They do this maliciously on purpose. That would be actually the, inf- the, uh, the, the definition of, I believe, disinformation, right? When you are actively trying to persuade somebody to do something or to think something that is fundamentally against their own best interest, but they're doing it all the time. So it will be really interesting to see if they fund um, and, and boost up Trump somehow in order to get him to be the nominee rather than Ron DeSantis. I don't I think, think he'll be really able to draw the lines. I don't think he'll be able to connect the dots. Like, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Like, there will be people in that system be like, all right, we got to put money there. But it will be from some, you, nobody will be able to trace the money. That's I what actually, I think. I don't know if I agree with that. If only from this perspective, we've already heard the chirpings of, uh, you know, some of the uh, biggest, you know, D.C. pundits uh, for the Democratic Party saying that DeSantis is more dangerous than Trump. Oh, this guy's uh, a smart Trump. He's going to do this, that and the other thing. So I, I'm not really sure. I, I think I definitely want them to go at it because I think it would be a ratings bonanza if they do. I think that probably more than anything else is what corporate media is concerned about, is what's going to continue the meal ticket. And it'll certainly make for great TV. It'll obviously yeah. give a lot of channels the opportunity to talk about the issues of the day. But 
What we're fighting for here, as I'm sure you're fighting for in many ways on your end, we need a movement of labor in this country that is economically populist, that is not bought and paid for by corporate interests. There is a huge difference between union bosses and union rank and file. We know right. that down here in Florida, oh, yeah. as I'm sure is the case in California. I've heard all about what's been going on in Los Angeles, among other places. Uh, how do you see, as we wind down the conversation, more or less the future of, you know, what's going to happen here? Because the greatest unifier that I've seen is labor. Yeah. That is the one that brings the most amount of people together. In fact, I, I always like to bring up what just happened when we were at the polls a week ago, there was a gentleman who was a firefighter who's in the union and was supporting a handful of candidates. And he is as Trump DeSantis as it gets. And he is for a living wage. He is for universal health care. He is for a clean environment. To me, you may not like the fact that he supports DeSantis, but yep. he is going to support the key issues that we're fighting for. To me, that's what's most important. Yeah, I agree. If people, if if we can really rally around those messages and not care as much about left or right or who you vote for, but just holding together with these messages, you know, there there might be some ability for change, you know, some some real true ability to to make some sort of change and to elect candidates. But I do think that it, it requires all of us to abandon then you know, well, I always vote Democrat or I always mm -hmm. vote Republican or, you know, you just got to vote for the person that's actually saying that they're going to make these changes and that they're going to somehow caucus together on those issues when they finally do get in into um, into those positions. You know, that's what we could hope for, for sure, somehow shifting the message towards that. Yeah. What are you working on these days? Like what topics are you working on? What are you focusing on? I mean, I know you, you know, you, you do a lot of research and you're always like digging around. So what are you working on? Well, you know, of course there's the war, you know, Ukraine is a big one and that's always changing. And um, there's a lot, you know, that one's difficult because there's only one, one narrative that comes out in this country that we're able to see. So having to constantly do research on that and looking that up is yeah. challenging having to go through. So I've been, I, you know, I've been focused on that. Um, also focused on still COVID. There's still a lot of, you know, chatter about, uh, about what we're going to be doing this winter in regards to that. Um, and so that is still very much affecting people's lives. And then of course the election. I mean, obviously I've just been really following this and, you know, I do live in Los Angeles. We're still in a hot mayoral race right now, still waiting for that to be called. Are we going to have the establishment Democrat mayor like what we've had all of this time. Um, Karen Bass has been backed by every single establishment Democrat that you could think of, um, minus Gavin Newsom. He declined to actually endorse anybody in the mayoral race. Um, or we've got Rick Caruso, who's basically a Republican. I mean, he's running on the Democratic ticket. He claimed to be a Democrat, like as of yesterday, kind of a thing. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, he's never been a Democrat. He was always a Republican. He changed to independent, I think, is a transition and then claimed to be a Democrat. But ultimately, he's running on all the Republican policies and they're neck and neck in a place like Los Angeles. And that's another thing with this election that I found really interesting. When you look at New York State, Kathy Hochul and um, her challenger, and then you look at Lee and then you look at what's going on here in Los Angeles with the mayoral race. And the fact that these two races are so close, I mean, here in L.A., it is really neck and neck. We do not know who's winning that. Yeah, right now, I believe um, 
Karen Bass is like 6,000 votes ahead of Rick Cruz and they still have about 400,000 left to vote to, to count. Right. So that is still a neck and neck race. And just even the New York governor's race, the fact that a Republican was able to get so close. I mean, what was the out, what was the final number on that? Was it like 46% the Republican? And yeah, it was getting- about a seven point swing. Um, but ultimately as That's a result crazy. of, I, I have a very strong opinion about AOC when it comes to Washington, D.C., in, in a not good way. But when it comes to New York City, I think she's made a tremendous impact in terms of bringing up a lot of these non-corporate candidates that have been running for city council, for uh, Yuli New uh, would have made a fantastic non-corporate congressional yeah, thanks, Mondaire Jones. But, and, and in thanks in large part to Sean Patrick Maloney, but also, as you can see right now, this guy, Jay Jacobs, who's been the state party chair for a long time, you know, they're all, you know, like Cuomo acolytes. They have worked hand in glove with the GOP to basically screw the non-corporate populist movement in the state. And by just doing the same thing over and over again, you get this guy like Lee Zeldin, who is another Looney Tune who is running. He did have uh, uh, the right message on a handful of issues, but He's still one of those Trump acolytes. If a half normal person was running on the GOP side, I do think Hockle could have been beaten. But as a result, it looks like the scales have been tipped in favor of the GOP in the House because of the seats that they did pick up because of how well Zeldin did perform. I would say the best silver lining is the fact that Trump Patrick Maloney got knocked out of Congress. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, look, this is showing that America is shifting, right? People people do not like the Democrats. There, you know, I know Democrats are kind of saying, oh, see, we won. We did a great job right. uh, because they didn't they didn't there wasn't the red wave after all. But when you look at how close these races are in places where they shouldn't be close at all, you know, in a place like Los Angeles, it shouldn't even be close that this Repu- yesterday Republican today, Democrat suddenly is actually about to be mayor of the city of a very blue city. And for New York state to have a race so close uh, you know, with a guy like Lee Zeldin, of all people, for it to be that close, really, I think, was more of a referendum on the Democrats to get it together or else. Because if Republicans catch on and actually run qualified, competent candidates next time, they are screwed. There will be a red wave. Yeah. And they need to so understand I, that. Yeah, I want to just give a shout out to Dirtbag because let's all take a moment and feel bad for him. His representative is Lauren Boebert. Okay, yeah, there honey, you go. We feel bad. We do well, I just well, moved. We have Pepe and Schultz, that's, so yeah, I, but that's know. true. You're in a bad one too. Well, I just moved, and I was looking up the other. I was like, "Well, who is my rep?" You know, before voting day, and it showed Adam Schiff was my guy, and I was like, "Oh, oh. Are you kidding me? Adam Schiff is my rep." But luckily, they actually redrew the lines, and so he's no longer my rep because of the the redistricting that right. happened. So yeah. I don't re- I don't remember the name of the guy who's actually my rep, but. Um, I was just about to die thinking that it was Adam Schiff. It used to be uh, Ted Lieu, where I li- was living before. Yeah. And he's pretty bad, too. But Adam Schiff is like one of the worst. worst. Schiff, Schiff is as bad as it gets. I can't help um, but thinking when you're talking about the Democrats and what is, what's the like the lesson that we could all take from this election? And the Democrats are looking at it with, it's all this hubris, right? Like, yeah. look how good we are. We did so good. <laughs> and instead of looking at how, only like where Demo- it was failures. Only the Democrats could actually lose the House and say, we won. Well, no, no and even if yeah. they keep it, I still think, that there should be sort of this Monday morning assessment of this where they're looking at 
yeah, we, we, we got away with it. We, we, we spray it. We got away with it. Yeah. Red wave, but these are the things that we should be looking at because we're clearly not popular, and but the no, only, they're not the, doing and that. The only thing, the only person that that helps is Ron DeSantis. In right. Terms yeah. Of what's going to be yeah. coming down the pike. Um, yeah, because can we get Democrats are, just real quickly, you know, yeah. because Democrats are looking at this, like you mentioned, as a win. And they're saying and they're actually saying we should have gone harder on the things that on all these other things. You know, they're like thinking they should have gone harder with January 6th or uh, I mean, whatever the policy or whatever they're thinking. And it's just like, really, you think that's the answer? You guys just got away with it. It was just because right. the yeah. Republican candidates were so bad. bad. And that's uh, the only reason. Yeah. Kim, can we get you on the record so that way we could put this out on social media, just so everybody who thinks you're like this far right loony tune now. Um, do, you support, <laughs> do, do you support universal health care? Yes. Yeah, Do absolutely. you support a living wage? Yes. I pay a living wage, which is painful. I'm going to admit <laughs> to producers. And, but and that's important. what you have to do, of do course. You, do you support transitioning to a clean energy grid? Whether yeah. you agree on nuclear or not, but I definitely think it has to be part of the transition. That's right, my yeah. opinion. I mean, uh, we might disagree on how to get to right. clean energy. But you agree that we need to yeah. get off of coal and natural yeah. gas. You believe yeah. that we yeah. need to do it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, One more. Okay. Will you please tell the people that you're not a transphobe? And I do not know for the <laughs> life of me what the hell that's from, because I have spoken with you many times, and I know that that just is not something that you would be spending your mental energy on. I'm not a transphobe at all, like the opposite I, of a transphobe, actually. In fact, the funny thing about the trans debate is I get I get eviscerated from both sides of this right. um, equally. Like, both sides hate me when it comes to the <laughs> trans debate. And it's because, you know, on one side, they don't like me if I say, I don't think if you're biologically male, you should be competing against biological women in sports. That then makes me now sure. transphobic. Um, but then on the right, they hate me because I say, I personally, I, you know, I, I, I just don't think it's anybody's business. What a children and, you know, if a parent is raising their kid and they decide to, to recognize their child as a different gender, and that is something that they want to do. I don't think it's anybody's business. And right. they get mad at me for that saying like, oh my, but it's children, Kim. Like you're, you're just going to let people mutilate children and do terrible things to children. And it's right. just no, like, don't, 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 don't. Well, I just yeah. think it's like, it's, it's very easy to call them out. You don't care about children or you'd be fighting for them to have health care. You don't care about that. And in our state, one of the biggest things that we saw with DeSantis and with our legislature is this whole like right push that not just the don't say gay, but the censorship and all that stuff we're really seeing definitely on the right. And you see them like with this very distorted view about that, what we're teaching kids, like it's, it's really just ridiculous. It's not based on any sort of of reason. And people get very caught up in this issue. They get very caught up in the trans issue. It's like, yeah. this big and it's such a small, you know, like how many trans people do you know? You know I mean? I, I know a few, we know a few. Yeah. But I most people know, like maybe one, if that, right. They don't right, have yeah. a lot of, you know, I know I, one of my best friends is trans. Um, and another, I have a family member. Who, so, I mean, it's just, but other than, but, it, but the, it's such a minor issue like even in speaking to them they don't have a problem uh and one of them by the way is very republic republican <laughs> ultra yeah. ultra yeah. on the right um and that and, and so it's but it's it's such a fringe issue like very so i don't even know why it's so why both sides have decided to latch onto it as like the thing of the day it's well, here it's, it's the right any, attacking and the left defending any, it is any here. excuse 
not to talk about well, non-corporate that. economic populism. I mean, that's Anything it. to avoid talking about the fact that you don't have a living wage, you have no health care, your water is poison, you have endless war. But there worry is, about the bathrooms. There is no criminal justice reform. <laughs> And you ain't getting no clean energy well, anytime soon. But you're going to get some wildfires out where you live. So enjoy that because that'll be great. I think that right. what pisses me off the most about the right in our state is they talk all this time about parents' rights. It's parents' rights. They use this sort of cover of parents' yeah. rights, basically. But then, interestingly, so parents have rights regarding what their kids learn at school and about if your teacher can show a picture of their same-sex spouse in their, on their desk, right? Parents yeah. have rights about that. But yet parents don't have rights to work with their children and their doctor about what their children right. the best treatment for them. Correct. So yeah. it's just so interesting. Like, well, where are their rights? I, I don't I don't quite. Yeah. Get and, you know, I'm just very consistent. I feel like when it comes to like medical, for example, I'm pro choice and I've always right. and in everything. And I, I, I believe in that. I believe in staying out of it, staying out of what doctors we can. We, we can have discussions and debates and educate, I think, a population about maybe better what we might consider better choices, right? When it comes to certain, but I still believe in the choice and the option for everybody to practice medicine and for people to make choices for themselves and for their children that they see fit. Uh, And that, that upsets everybody actually on both sides, depending on the issue that upsets everybody. But you know, that, that has been my stance on it as I am pro-choice when it comes to medical treatments pro-choice when it comes to whatever you think is best for you and your family, um, when it comes to anything medically at all. And it's just really none of my business. I don't know your situation. I don't know you. I haven't been there every day to assess it. So how, why would I suddenly be the person to come in and say, no, you cannot do this thing that you think is the best thing for you and your family. And that was, and that was more or less the same argument regarding COVID. You have a vaccine, you want to take it, take it. You can't force people to be just. Yeah, but people right. don't, you know, people like to pick and choose, especially, and that is definitely something that we see on both sides. The yeah. Democrats are the same. Like, they like to force yeah. you. They're pro-choice, but they're Except also pro-mandate. The right. Right. <laughs> right. So, so that, right, it's just they pick and choose, like, what they support. That's not, yeah, look, I, we're, we're pretty good. consistent. You know, somebody brought this up the other day, and it was a great point. And look, we're, we're, we're pretty friendly with Walker Bragman, but he's definitely one of the loudest in the room. He was on the podcast the other day. He's like, well, we're going to have to mask up again. And I'm thinking, uh, how many potentially billions of masks do we have now that are just going into landfills? And I even, yeah. I said to him, like, listen, there's only one mask that is proven to actually and that is the N95 mask that surgeons wear in the hospitals. You can't just readily get those things. Cloth masks do not work. Right. And the idea that you want to push that narrative, to me, it, it doesn't allow us to get to the conversation of universal health care, living wage, things like that. Yeah. Boy, didn't we, we squander an opportunity with COVID on that? I mean, that was the oh. thing everybody should have been marching in the streets for was suddenly, I mean, we could have built a medical industrial complex, right? like wartime effort to build up a medical, a medical system that would treat everybody the way they did in China, right? When they just like had pop-up hospitals that suddenly in 10 days were built from the ground up. I mean, had we put mass effort towards that and then employed people, then we would have had a medical industrial complex that they would have needed to keep going because you can't suddenly fire a bunch of people and have them lose their job and, and think that that's going to be politically uh, a good move. Right. So they would have had to keep, it would have been no different than World War II's, uh, in the military industrial complex effort. 
And that's one thing I was advocating for early on in the pandemic, just like, this is the time, guys. If we're going to build this up and if we're going to basically put a system together to where everyone will have medical care, now is the time to do it. A medical industrial complex, they will not be able to shut that down. And whatever, I don't even know what they did. What you yeah. are, that. are doing, no, what, what you are doing is, is putting a perspective out there that not everybody necessarily wants to listen to. I always to. defend you. I find I, you extremely smart, well-spoken yes. and very well-researched. And oh, I, I don't you. understand how anybody, like it's people get really fixated on like the talking points they want to hear. And if they don't hear it exactly that way, then you're not on their team. And it's really frustrating. We really have to get out of the echo chamber. Ugh. That is very necessary because again, I think the three of us are very much civil libertarian. Not everybody is, but that to yeah. me, the libertarian left, if you want to call it, is live and let live with a legitimate, yeah, well, there's your constitution. I don't a go anywhere. Legitimate social safety net. Last thought before you go. Yeah. Clearly right now, there is nobody in the Democratic Party that is really going to step up in terms of that economic populist left that we need right now. But- there is one person who is out there who is considering running for president, and he will not do it within any of the two major parties. So the question becomes, is Jesse the Body Ventura potentially going to run in the forward party, uh. which our f mutual friend Andrew Yang, I'm sure, would love to see happen? I think that if Ventura, who says he would do it, if there was a viable third party option, not the Green Party or the Libertarian right, Party, right. that he would be able to run with, and get ballot access in all 50 states. I'm sure that even- The Greens blew it with him as far as I'm concerned. They, they can go They hey, can go kick how's rocks. That, how's that Howie Hawkins endorsement working for you these days? <laughs> uh, how, how would you see it unfolding if the opportunity was there, if he was on the ballot and decided to run? I think Jesse Ventura could really shake things up if he did run. I, I do. I, I agree. I definitely think Jesse Ventura would be really would shake things up. I, I think he'd have to run as a Democrat in order to do well, it. There's no way he would do that, though. He'd no have to. He the thing is, is that Democrats have really infiltrated like the minds of voters into this vote blue no matter who mentality. I mean, they've really done a very good job at making people believe it's an existential crisis if they don't vote for the Democrat. Republicans have not done that. So they've, they used to have that with the Christian right when people were way more religious and they believed that it was either vote for the Republicans or, you know, hell will come upon us all, you know, the fiery depths of hell. But that's not the case anymore, right? Republicans are less religious than they were. And so they don't have that ideology. They don't have that morality reason to vote for another Republican. They're voting. Republican voters are mainly voting because they agree with the policies. I mean, that's like what it boils down to. But Democrats are still voting based on just morality. I mean, they, 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 they now they have care about their feelings and fear. Well, right. But they've, they've captured the morality vote in yeah. a different type of morality. So unless Jesse Ventura is going to run as a Democrat to yeah. make those morality Democrats feel good and say, well, I can, I can do this because you still have the D next to your name. So it's okay for me to vote for you because Republicans will vote for him if they just like him. They and won't no care about the D or vote for him. So the question is, does he even need to attract a lot of Democrats because they are not the majority party in this country? Uh, uh, I still I'll, think he would need to yeah, in order uh, to, otherwise he'll split the vote. I'll say this. If he did run as a Democrat, I do think he'll go where Bernie wouldn't go. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. I, he would. Is key. But he won't yeah. run. He won't do that. Like, well, he, well, if he's not willing. Parties. Yeah, that's the only way. If he's not willing to run as a Democrat, then 
I'm not taking him seriously because I feel like unless you're willing to challenge the system, unless you're willing to challenge the establishment, then you're not really going to challenge the establishment. I mean, you can't run a campaign as an independent saying I'm here to st- challenge the establishment without really being willing to challenge the establishment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you'd be and a right hypocrite. Now- yeah, and right now the establishment is the duopoly. So that's the first thing that has to break. All right. Anybody out there somewhat, who, yeah. Any, anybody out there who criticizes Kim Iverson again, you're 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 on my shit list. That's all I'm gonna say. I just don't understand it. Came, Good God. You people. literally came on here. You're you're here. Kim Iverson saying, no, Jesse Ventura should not run as a third party candidate. He should run in the Democratic primary and, you heard go, it here. and go where Bernie Sanders wouldn't go. <laughs> oh, people, leave Kim alone. But there is a, it's fine but, if they but, don't I, like I, me. No, it isn't that they don't like you. I mean, they might not like you. It's that they're misrepresenting you. Oh, see, that's I what bothers me. I well, that's what happens a like lot. Yeah, yeah. It's cr- I don't know why. Maybe I'm not speaking clearly. Maybe my, oh, I no. don't know. I don't I think don't- it's you. I'm pretty sure it's not you. <laughs> I <gotta laughs> well, I know you said that you thought my Trump was good. I, I got to give you one more before All right, you go. here you go. So, He's here got to do it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, gross. I just have to say, it's really great to see you, Kim. I have been waiting the longest time for you to come on the show he and has, make my gross. pitch. Uh, yeah, good to see you, but come Ugh. on, it's Kim Iverson. You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good I'm one, really, too. I'm really able to get away from Hillary as often as I can. And uh, with the election season not too far away, uh, just remember, uh, Benville, Arkansas, I got my own library. It's really nice. But what's even nicer <laughs> is that I've got my own apartment on top. So oh, if thinking that. about getting away, just uh, give me a call. And uh, uh, nice to see you. You're you should be in <laughs> Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, yeah, Jen. Whatever, Just, uh, yeah. Well, talking. we'll see you on Epstein's I, Island. I, I have never <laughs> been there. Yeah. You can't prove oh, it. Oh, yeah. And just remember, I make the law. <laughs> that is great. That is it's great. so gross. Like, it's very methody, and he feels like it's That's so lechy. Oh, he would so hit on you if he had two seconds I, to make it happen. I honestly could. Do you have so a awesome. Trump? Do you have a Trump mask, too? He so does. Can, oh, my he gosh. He does. He does Trump. What else do you have? Bernie. Oh, Bernie, Bernie's that total inbreak. Oh Ron DeSantis, he's a really sanctimonious. He is a really sanctimonious person, and I know what that <laughs> word means. Believe me when I tell you, I made him. He totally became governor because I christened him here in Florida. I am the king of Florida. I am the king of America. And tomorrow we will make a big, beautiful statement. It's going to be great. It's going to be incredible. You're going to love it. It'll oh, be the best right. one you've ever heard. And Is by he the way, Jen, and by the way, I forgot to tell you this wonderful, incredible thing. You know, my daughter got married this weekend and it was really great. And do you know the song that we danced to? Do you know the song, Jen? No, I'm trying do to you figure know the out song? which, which the song. The song was Here Comes the Sun. Oh, it was really incredible. <laughs> it was really wonderful. Who got married? Really Tiffany? Tiffany? Tiffany got married, yeah. Oh, it was a really beautiful God. wedding. And here came the sun and sure did it. I, it was great. I didn't even reckon that's a good one too. And I love how the mask is enormous. Oh, the mask. It's really great. Well, it's really great. So remember, tune in tomorrow. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> is he announcing it tomorrow? Is tomorrow the big day? That's what he said he's going to do. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what he's going to say, but. Is he going to ride down an escalator? Or is it going to be a glass elevator this time? <laughs> is Melania going to be there? Is Melania going to be there? That's a good question. She is she going to be. I would imagine she's not going to be there and it's going to be Ivanka. I don't see her going time. for a second term. No, I don't I, see it I happening. bet it's Ivanka. Ivanka is going to be the one riding the escalator down with her dad as the new first lady, you know, to, uh, apparently. Nothing they win. incestuous looking there, by no. you. I just no. don't understand. Well, and the other thing that's going to piss off the GOP, even though 
I am hoping and praying that Warnock beats Walker, but oh, I do think that yeah. that's going to happen. Uh, why are you announcing your presidential run when you still have a Senate race that's still going in you know less than a month? I would think that that's not going to look too good. It's actually going to hurt. And it's it's all about him. Well, he, he can't, yeah, he's not just a narcissist. He cannot yeah. not have the spotlight on him. And if right. you want the last, and I'll give you the last one, which apparently is my best okay. one. So I like this. This is, this is the only one that doesn't make me want to wretch when I'm sitting here. <laughs> Kim, I just wanted to come on here and let you know that you're doing a really good job. I don't agree with everything that you say, but I certainly appreciate your perspective. It definitely helps. Look, we've got to find a way to come together and fight on the key issues that everybody agrees about. Jen, good to see you. So, That's a good if one. you're not currently subscribed to the Kim Anderson Show on YouTube, make sure you go over there, give her some support, hit the like button, comment, and share it everywhere so that your friends know about it. She's doing good. <laughs> Thanks, Bernie. Appreciate Isn't that good? It. Yeah, that was that a good, good one. That was yeah. a good one. Now you're yeah. going to have to get Ron DeSantis, you know, you're going to have to get a Ron DeSantis mask and you're going to have to like a good, like the ling linguistically, like there's not a good, I don't know what you would call I it. I just have to practice it. It's just yeah, not just unique. It. Like there's not a particular sound. Like, I don't even know if I would recognize his voice just from hearing right. it. I'm not yeah. sure I would. Yeah. He's no, not Ron as recognizable. No. no neither is like Biden. Yeah. But, I mean, he can do a few little bits of Biden. I've seen, but I've said this not, to Jen. Uh, Kim, you're in LA. You're in the LA area. Do you know yeah. who Kyle Dunnigan is? No. Okay, so he has. I think he mostly does his stuff on Instagram. He's got the best Biden impression I've seen by far, <laughs> really? it, and it's really, really, really funny. So at least there's one guy out there who could get it because all the other Biden impressions are terrible, as far yeah. as I'm concerned. But there's really not that much there, there, as you would say. But. The floor is yours. Anything that you want to plug, anything that you want to mention. Obviously, you've got a lot. You've had a lot going on, as we had talked about uh, yeah. personally. So uh, please plug whatever you want to plug before you go. Yeah, I just I haven't been able to post a whole lot lately because I moved um, into a new place and it and actually, quite honestly, it, it was like a, it ended up being a nightmare. <laughs> kind of like oh, no. We discovered when we bought the place, like so many issues, so many problems that required our attention. So um, I've unfortunately been kind of buried in getting my house together. I'm a real estate agent and I tell everybody the most important part about buying a house is the inspection. You have to. Our inspectors failed. We had so many inspections. Yeah. We paid for like triple the number of inspections. We, they all came back with a clean bill of health. Mostly. I mean, some of them pointed out like little issues here and there, but nobody said anything major. We ended up getting into the place. We found mold in numerous places. Uh, we, we had, we found termites, mold, um, it turns out that the HVAC leaked water. So we ended up with water damage uh, all throughout our master bathroom. So we had to tear that all the drywall out and completely re like rebuild the master bathroom. We discovered the water heater went out, the HVAC went out. Um, and then on top of it, the worst of it all, if that wasn't all bad enough, which we've been in the process of repairing everything um, for the, since August, we bought the place in August. And then we've been going through dealing with all of these different issues one by one as we've discovered them, which is just a bunch. But then on top of it, the worst discovery we, we found out was that, which was never disclosed to us, our neighbor, we, we're in a townhouse with one shared unit. That's it. It's, it's, a, it's like a duplex, basically. Right. And our shared neighbor has the loudest subwoofer ever. Oh. 
up against our shared wall, booming uh, thunder into our unit every single, all day. It would start at 7.38 in the morning and Kim, go all the way. H- do you have an HOA, homeowner? We have an HOA. They were okay. unwilling to do anything about it. All they right, basically, then, uh, that's it. That, then you should talk to an attorney. We then went to the police. I mean, this has been like a whole ordeal. We then went to the police. The police have been over to our our house several times. Um, there's been like threats of lawsuits now. And I mean, it's we're hoping that the last time the police came, which was this last week, uh, less than a week ago, I called the police. <laughs> he called the police on me first, actually. I didn't want to escalate it to police. Oh, but my neighbor. So yeah, the neighbor called the police on me because we tried working with him three different times we were asking him, you know, can you, we, we introduced ourselves. We're very, very friendly with them, invited them over, you know, for a drink, for like a drink, or I was going to bake him cookies, like what are all these things? And he was just like, no, he shut us down. Didn't, you know, basically didn't, you know, was really hostile to our request about the subwoofer. Um, then he went to the HOA first and said that we were harassing him because we asked him three times. We went, three times to ask him to not, you know, to move his subwoofer, turn it down. So then he said we were harassing him. So then the HOA wouldn't take us seriously because when we then reported, we were like, no, we're not harassing him. We're having an issue with the subwoofer. They were like, well, you need to stop harassing him. And then, and we were like, what evidence does he have of us? I mean, we are not harassing people, but then, so after that, when they shut us down, I got really upset. Of course, I'm hearing subwoofer all day, every day. So I banged on my wall right? Like any person would probably bang on the wall if they're like, like, knock it off, right? So I banged on the wall twice in one week and he called the police on me <laughs> for banging on the wall. You know, and- when you have attached walls, you are only as happy as your quietest neighbor or your loudest neighbor rather. And that's, yeah, the thing. it was really bad. So the police came up, but then they saw my recordings. I'd been recording this, like, like numerous dozens of recordings of this guy being super loud. And um, the police were really sympathetic. And then they went over there and said, we think you should move your subwoofer. And then, but he didn't. And so that's why I had to call the police last week. And I'm like, he's been told and he's still not doing it. And then what's and, eventually, what's yeah. eventually going to happen oh, so is miserable. that if you t- yeah, if it's it, been this becomes a small claims court situation, uh, he, yeah. the, the best outcome is that he's going to get fined and he's going to get fined every day. And the second it starts eating at his wallet, then he's going to stop. That's well, the last, yeah, I, totally. And we were ready to go down that path, but actually I consulted with it. So LA has its own noise department. Of I police. can imagine. Yeah. For police and they're, they're police officers, but they just specifically deal with noise. And I finally got a hold of them. It was hard getting a hold of them to, you know, get an appointment with them. Finally spoke to them last week and they told me it's actually criminal what he's doing. He could go to jail for it. So it's yeah. beyond because the other officers that would show up would say, well, this is kind of civil and you're probably going to end up having to go to small claims court and stuff. And we were preparing for that. But the noise guys were like, no, actually, this is considered criminal. And this will be referred to a, a an attorney to the city attorney's office. And they'll actually find him a couple of times. And then if he's still not compliant, it will he will I mean, they will literally they'll they'll actually take the system. <laughs> they'll, they'll confiscate the system. And if that doesn't work and if he continues, then it would be considered harassment and he'll go to jail. You know, so, I mean, they were like, it could escalate to that level. And I'm like, does this ever escalate to this level with people? And they say, yes. I'm like, why are people just so crazy? Well, it sucks because you're, you're, this is how you move into a new place. You're living in Los Angeles. (laughs) You should see what it's like down in Southern Florida. I mean, it's, it's really been unfortunate. This is our first home. You know, we've never bought anything before. We were super excited to get out of apartment life. We, re- we were looking for a single family home, but that's really difficult in LA. We ended up with this townhouse that's basically like a single family home. It has a yard and 
you know, it's big. And, um, and we were just thinking, okay, one neighbor, like how bad could one neighbor be? And it turned out he's the yeah. worst neighbor any, either of us have ever had. And we've been living in apartments our whole lives. Like, <laughs> and he's the noisiest person either of us have ever lived next to. So that has been our big, big, big issue. So what I haven't been posting a whole lot. Where are you? I'm in, uh, in LA, like in, okay. uh, in the Valley. Now okay. I moved to the Valley. I was down in Venice, um, for like 10 years, but, um, so that's why I haven't posted a lot. I've been very, very preoccupied, unfortunately, yeah. with trying to solve this noise issue on top of all of the construction, you know, rebuilding. We had several rooms with mold that we had to re, we had to renovate. We had to, we had to, um, remediate all of that. So we've been really, really busy with that. I haven't been able to really post a whole lot. But the the cool thing that's happening is that I am going to be moving to a pretty soon. I'm not 100% certain on the date yet. It might be December 5th. I'm moving to a one hour live stream uh, Monday through Friday with Rumble. I will be exclusively on Rumble doing a one hour live stream Monday through Friday. I will still post some of the clips onto YouTube, but people will be able to now tune into that uh, full one hour show. And it's going to be awesome. We're changing everything, the logos, the backgrounds, the studio, everything. Cool. It's going to be a, a major upgrade for What's the show. Rumble? So. What, what, why do I not know? I mean, I'm old. And, Rumble's and, like and, YouTube, but we're for like more, uh, not as, you know, we can say more. <laughs> we can right, talk you're not about by more. Google. You're not right, by Google. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, there's exactly. definitely, I mean, it's definitely what you, there's, there's more of what you would call, you know, the conservative side of media that ends up there. But the good thing about Rumble is that you basically don't have the same suppressive tactics that YouTube right. has. Maybe you should go there. Is it, would you say it's that difficult, Kim? You know, for our, I mean, our channel's about 8,000 subscribers. We're so, so sad. We're not. We're, we're small, not, but mighty. We're trying. <laughs> I think, you know. Definitely. I think you should be everywhere. Like you should definitely be on Rumble. I've struck a, a special deal with them where I'm exclusively going to be on Rumble. So I'm moving my show, the Kim Iverson show over to Rumble. That is where I'm going. That's where I'm going to be. I will post right. clips onto YouTube, but my show is going to be exclusively on Rumble. You could do it, you know, where you're everywhere. And I think you should right. absolutely do that. And Rumble is growing. Yeah, it is. It has been known for being more on the right with having a lot more right-wing creators at first, but they've been attracting a lot of left-wing creators as well. That is who they're, they're, they're definitely trying to get more people on the left on the platform to balance it out. So it would definitely be a good place to go. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I, I get along very well with people on the right. I don't have problems. I get along with people. Like, as I don't, long it's as not you that complicated. As long as it's you more like libertarian, I think. Which is, Anybody libertarian is, I'm very, when it comes to civil rights, I really am. I mean, there's just, I believe in a social safety net. That's right. that's basically the distinction between me and them. But well, it's like trying to explain to somebody that there's a difference between a social safety net and a welfare state. It's right. like people do not seem to get right. that the idea behind a social safety net is like a trampoline, and the idea behind a welfare state is like quicksand. It's, you know. But I know a lot of libertarians on the right who are also for, you know, like universal health care and forgiving student smart. debt. It's fiscally smart, and a lot of right. them recognize that 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 that's the better way to go financially. Yeah, the younger generate the younger libertarians in particular are thinking, yeah. okay, you know, we want to have maximum freedom, and maximum freedom includes uh, not having to stress out about medical and not being burdened with massive medical bills. Maximum yeah. freedom includes not being burdened with massive student loan debts. You know, they understand the concept of maximum liberty and freedom 
and, and they understand what it takes to get there. And that's what they right. believe, you know, so I, I do think there is a shift happening, especially with those younger libertarians. Yeah. Good. And that's good. And that is the conversation yeah. that we have to keep having. Kim Iverson, guys, if you're not currently subscribed to the Kim Iverson show, please get over there. Please watch her clips, comment, like, subscribe, share. You don't have to agree with everything mm -hmm. she says, but Lord knows after the conversation we had this evening and the clips that will go up, people will be hearing the things that really matter, which uh, is the primary issues we all agree if on. If you ever need a token progressive, you know, real leftist to come on and chat, let me know. I'm I, very I'll happy have, to go on the right. I definitely will have you on my show for sure. I'm going to, like I said, it's Monday through Friday, an hour cool. long. So there's definitely going to be, I'm going to be doing a lot more and having a cool. lot of, a lot of, so I'd love to have you on. Excellent. Kim, yeah. thank you for all you do. Thank Great you guys. You. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, thanks always. for not misinterpreting me. Like I so don't, many. I always have your back. <laughs> always have Same your back, you. friend. Thanks. Thank you guys. All right. Bye-bye. So. Cause she's smart and does her research. It's fascinating. Start doing the, the, you know. So for those of you who happen to like our conversation or maybe just like us, it's possible please go over to patreon.com forward slash generational change for as little as $5 a month. You can become a supporter of this wonderful, small but steady growing show, which is about to pass 8,000 subscribers finally. Woo! I figured out a new way to get some more people to sign up. Which if you're not even subscribed, just hit subscribe. That's free. That is free and that really does help. <laughs> then of course, if you could be so generous to become a $10 a month Patreon, this is who we think could be potentially the Democratic nominee for president in 2024. Mansion parliamentarian, although if Joe actually runs No, again, even if Joe runs again, he's scared of them. He is scared of them. And you also get the Lulu sticker, <laughs> right, Lou? So Lou understands. Oh, she's, this shit. Don't, don't, really don't, good. don't rock, don't very, rock her. Very, very important. But if you are extra, extra generous for $25 a month, he, here comes the sun. It's really You get great. the generational change the gener jersey and it's really nice. And it's got our little logo on the back, transforming politics into service. Thank you, Dustin. That's so nice. Thanks for the super chat. That means a lot, Dustin. Anyone who supports our channel is very much appreciated. Very much so. Thank you. Your guys and everyone who, if you don't know, when you donate to our show and all of the money that comes in through Patreon goes towards GenCore, which is our nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. We do local community service. And now that the campaign season is over, that's pretty exclusively where the money will go. We did donate to non-corporate candidates. Um, during the campaign season, um, possible that I might, you know, coordinate some sort of phone bank for um, uh, Warnock. Uh, those are the kinds of things we do politically, but community is really where we spend the money. And that's what we're really trying to do here. So um, that's where all the money goes. If you are not wanting oh, to give South us. South Florida. Sorry, we're in Broward County. So somebody said, where is you? Where is local? So we give money to our mobile school pantry. We give money to any kind of community garden that's being built. Actually, I give money to anything that good community organizers are on the ground working on. Bea Costa pointing out beach cleanups. Beach cleanups. And Travers, hey, listen, everyone appreciates a lame joke. Of course, Jen thinks my jokes are lame. So, of course, you're in good company, my friend. So if you are so inclined and don't want to put your credit card on the, uh, uh, you know, on the- uh, You don't want to be a regular subscriber. You don't feel comfortable being on You don't want to put on it on there. the grid and constantly being charged, even though it's not a lot. But you can go to Cash App, dollar sign Gen Change and support us there. And that will be a big help. And of course, anyone who wants to give a super chat is always appreciated. So- Dirtbag, she's not a rightist. <laughs> we really do appreciate. And I think it was our good friend, uh, Oki, who suggested that it is a good idea. 
that we do reach out to more commentators. Absolutely. Speaking of more commentators. We have an interesting show on Wednesday. On Wednesday, we are having our good friends, uh, Pat the Burner and uh, Lee Clyer, or is it Lie? Is, is it, how do you? Pat the Burner's coming back Pat after, the coming uh, yeah. after the incident. Yeah. Pat the Burner will be on here. And well, is it Lee? Is it Lie? I don't forgot, know. I forgot how she pronounced her name. It's like Lie or Lee Clyer, but they, they're on the Punch Up pod. So that's what they do. And, if, and I, interestingly enough, they're based in the Los Angeles area as well. It's not like we're targeting LA. We're not doing that. No, but no. But they are definitely pretty left, I think you would say. So uh, if, even though if you don't think that Kim Iverson is on the left, I would happen to, I, I think the answers that she gave this evening are- Kim's, what She's call, a populist. I would, yes, definitely a left-leaning Okay, populist. so here's the thing. If somebody's a populist and they believe live and let live, meaning pro-choice, what more would someone need to call you on the left? Like if she's anti-war, she's pro-choice, and she's a economic populist. Like, I don't know what you people, why you would call that right. I don't, because Dirt she wasn't bag, if for you your- ask, If you ask me, I think that's a good thing. Because oh, for sure. if you're trying to solve the critical problems in our culture right now, which is corporate special interests, particularly Wall Street and Silicon Valley, run this country. Yes. They do not run it on behalf of working people who are suffering mightily every day. Right-wing libertarians like me too. And so we may not agree on everything and we're not going to when, frankly, we're not supposed to. Wouldn't that be so, so boring? Yeah. It would be like going to, I don't know, like a local dem club here. <laughs> it would just be a little echo. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely going to probably make the rounds on social media. So it'll be interesting to see what people think of this. Uh, I, Strategy. I, I, yeah. Just, just honestly, and I get where she's coming from. Her point is any way to ever really be successful in a duopoly is going to have to come within those two parties where we are right now. The third party, while you might get like somebody get lucky, like a Ross Perot or someone like that, it's still going to be fringe. It's not going to actually change the system. And so, yeah, it will upset things. So Kim's perspective is, is that if you really want to challenge the system, you have to tackle it in the duopoly that exists now. And I do get that because we live we live that. here. I also think that if if Biden really does run again and it looks like he's going to, then that really is the opportunity for Jesse Ventura to oh. get into the race. Oh, Jesse, you're our that, hope. I mean, talk about a real contrast and the ability to really get your message out there because there wouldn't be anybody else. Nobody's going to, I mean, you never know what might happen, but I do think that a race like that could be very, very interesting. So Punch Up Pod will be coming on. We're going to have lots of great guests that are going to be coming on very, very soon. Uh the uh, the following Monday, we are going to finally have Phil Agnew. Took us long enough, but he's coming. That'll be a very good conversation. We are going to also have our, yes, conservative friend, the actual justice warrior, Sean Fitzgerald, will be coming back as well. We're just trying to work out a date with We're him We're trying right to now. build bridges, people. We've got to yeah. build bridges. We've got to make the coalition bigger. This is a class war. It's a class war. And unless you're one of the people that owns everything, you're on the side with us, whether you I agree so. with us on things or not. Well, it, the truth is, it's not up to you what side you're on. That's been designated by the people at the top as they're continuing their warfare and by kicking down. So you might think that you're on one team or another, but really you're not. And can we give a shout out to your new friend, really awesome person, Alethea Shapiro and her husband, Craig, who we had the opportunity to meet over the weekend. I mean, 
talk about somebody who is a true fighter. And you really can't say enough about people who are in a very fortunate position in life where they don't need to fight like they do, but they do it anyway because they care. And that means a lot. There's not enough of them out there, but they are a hell of a dynamic duo. They are raising their kids in the same respect to really appreciate uh, the important things in life and especially being one of the people, which I think is very, very important, as I'm sure you would agree. And you didn't talk about... Last but not least, our very important small business neighbors. As a matter of fact, I am very likely going to be on a small business advisory board. Imagine that. Maybe you could get us some small, more small business sponsors. That would be wonderful. I will work on that. But most importantly, for a good cause. So if you are so inclined and need assistance with any type of home, auto, or life insurance, Apex Insurance Agency, based in Delray Beach, South Florida, small business, they could use your support as much as you could probably benefit from the services that they provide. Tell them Jen and Pete sent you. Tell them Jen and Pete sent you. Make sure you give them a call. <laughs> you might get a discount that is very satisfying, especially at this time of the year where open enrollment has begun. You definitely want to give them a call and at least check out their rates. Lord knows they're going to be better than the big box uh, organizations. And so. if you guys want to shout out every episode and it, again, $50, a, $50 month. a month, every episode we will promote. And if you're a taco truck, we will come on site. We will, I, I would do a live stream Jen from is your determined taco to truck. get a local, we've got to go to, we're going to have to go I to some of those like events. Yes. We've I, got I, to get I, up. <laughs> yeah. So we're trying to build bridges, people. We're trying to connect with people that we don't necessarily agree with. And to alienate people that we don't agree with is not going to serve us at all. It just doesn't serve us. So we try our best to cross-pollinate with as many different people and organizations that we can. What When you um, spoke with Phil Agnew, because originally when I reached out to him, it was regarding coming on for that Deconstructing Zionism panel. Is that still what he's coming on about? And if so then can I, I want to use that as part of the series. Then. Well, I think that we can talk about it for sure. So it really just depends okay. on how you want to frame it. Okay. I don't have any problem with that. Okay. That, that seems reasonable. Yeah. So that's. So. Dirtbag, uh, our condolences again. It does look like Lauren Boebert is probably going to hang on to her seat. Oh, for the love of all that is holy. And so, yeah, you have a habit of saying that when bad people win races. Because so. <laughs> it makes me think of like holy roller religious people. When oh. people like her. Yeah, but I think she's playing a role. I, I don't really believe her. Just like I don't believe Marjorie Taylor Greene. I, I think that. Well, I think they're very not smart. And they're going to. Like, I think they're not bright women. I will say this. If Trump is out of the equation, I don't really see how their star is so bright. They attach themselves so tightly to him. And I just think they live in very, story. very red districts as well. Like Marjorie she's, Taylor Greene is. Bulbert's district is not as red as people think. But but Marjorie Taylor Greene's district is. And then also who ran against her in who ran against Bobert and what's that candidate like? Because there's a variety of like it's a bunch of variables. You can't just have a candidate that you want to get rid of. You actually have to have a challenger that's decent enough on their own. And I don't know that's what true. that challenger is. And I don't and know. Well, one more thing that I do want to point out, which is very important, obviously, as most of you know, uh, Senator Masto retained her seat in the state of Nevada. But what's probably more important, in my opinion, probably Jen's as well. Uh, ranked choice voting passed in Nevada. So nice. that's big, very big. And more of that needs to come. Yeah. So hopefully we will see more of that as we go forward. Meanwhile, the morons in Florida actually voted to take away one of the last bastions of like populism that the state had in its constitution. And so now that's gone. We had something here that was like a constitutional amendment committee. 
that every 20 years, it's only every 20 years, this group gets together and it's about taking, I guess, comments and, and talking to the constituents and they get things. It's a way to get stuff on the ballot without how difficult it is for regular people to get things on the ballot. Right. So it's this one more step. And these people who just vote yes, because people just vote yes. So they put something on the ballot that says, should we should we abolish the whatever the Constitutional Amendment Committee, blah, 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 blah. And everybody just votes yes. And so they're getting ranked choice voting and we're actually voting away the last bit of any opportunity that we had as citizens to have anything be put on our ballots. Yeah. Because that's how stupid people are. Yeah, unfortunately, stupid. not the sharpest knives in the drawer. No. And a lot of problems that we have to deal with on the regular. And Florida always seems to be at the bottom of the barrel. People just America. vote yes. Most amendments pass in I most places because people just vote yes. I'll say this. Uh, when people say that they don't have to see it in 20 years, and unfortunately, this is the state of Florida, a lot of people who voted against it are people that are not going to be here in 20 years. Well, so. there's that. That's there's that. I just think people just go vote yes. They don't even, first of all, I am a pretty sharp reader and I have to sit there and really parse through the way those amendments, the, they're written on the ballot because they use like a whole bunch of double negatives. They write it in such a way that it's so confusing. And so you really need to understand it. And most people don't even bother to read it. Nope. They just see vote yes or no. Yeah, sure. We'll vote for this amendment. And congratulations. We just lost seriously the last way that we had as citizens short of how many thousands of signatures to get something on a ballot. Last topic we will not talk about this evening, but we'll talk about on Wednesday with the Punch-Up Pod crew, obviously, is this big revelation regarding uh, the SBF crypto scam, which apparently uh, Mr. Bankman-Fried was the second largest donor of the Democratic Party, as well as the Biden presidential campaign. He gave the Democrats $40 million this election cycle alone. What's the scandal? Oh, you know, just that the whole crypto system is collapsing and apparently he's... Uh, so you're telling me that basically a fictional currency based off of internet voodoo mm -hmm. is failing. Shocking. Billions, hundreds of billions of dollars apparently has been lost, including his fortune. Uh, yeah, see, I would never have invested in that. Uh, That's it, just asking it to be looks, a problem. It looks to me like, I mean, I believe the highest that Bitcoin ever traded at, don't quote me on this, guys, but I think Bitcoin traded at like sixty dollars to $62,000 a share at one time. Bitcoin today is at about $16,000. You want to talk about losing everything and then some? But it's a fictional thing. I don't no, understand I how any of that even works. Here's the, is that really what we're talking about on Wednesday? Because well, I got to we'll tell you we'll this stuff. I hear. No, we, we will touch about it uh, regarding what this means implicating uh, the Democratic establishment and what, it, what role they may or may not have played. Because this is extreme. The fact that so many things are already starting to happen right after the midterms, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. So with that said, never a dull moment. remember to hit the like button, subscribe, comment, share, do all those wonderful things that we plead with you to do all the time. We are definitely climbing up that ladder slowly but surely, and hopefully a little bit more every day. We appreciate your support. We'll see you Wednesday.
Bye all. Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.